Hello and welcome to TV Sessions. Today we're going to be doing a deep dive into The Leftovers. Uh, my name's Gabe and as always I'm joined by my co-host Luke. Uh, but for today's episode we actually have a guest for the first time. So this is exciting. We're going to be doing a three-person deep dive on The Leftovers. Uh, joining us we have a film critic who runs the film website Films Fatale. Uh, how's it going Andreas? It's going fantastically. I can't be more excited than I am. I absolutely adore this show and a lot of it's still fresh in my mind because I only finally got around to it earlier this year um, and it's already become one of my favorites and it's it still is like lingering with me like you know the after effects the leftovers yeah. if you will so yeah I'm yeah. excited to do a deep dive. I'm glad to hear you're excited for this. Um, so you watched it this year during the pandemic? Yeah so uh, last year I wanted to start doing on my website, I, I've done like a top 100 list of every single decade. And that was supposed to be a two year project. And uh, when the pandemic hit, I said, we have to make a positive out of this, you know, when it comes to like, you know, being self isolated at home and what we do with our time. So I condensed the two year project into like one year and I don't even want to go into how many movies I watched for this. So like ranging from the, from the 2000s all the way to like, the 1920s and earlier so I watched like countless things so at the start of this year I basically said no I'm good I want to watch a bunch of shows that I've been dying to watch and the very first one was The Leftovers because well we'll get more to that you know yeah in a little bit I'm, I'm sure but um in short without saying too much already I had not been spoiled it yeah. seemed digestibly short and yeah. I said, this is the perfect one to start with. So mm -hmm. that's why. Yeah. yeah. Um, just to get that out there, you, you're more of a film person than a TV person. Like you do run a film <laughs> review site. So it makes sense that like, like I've actually seen some of those posts where you do like top 100 of a decade. And it's like the fact that you're doing those for each decade. Like, yeah, you watch a lot of movies. <laughs> so it's, it's cool to hear that you, it makes sense that you committed to the leftovers see, seeing as it's a way shorter show. Like, yeah, it would be much more appealing for someone that's into movies rather than yeah. A big TV watcher. Exactly. That's something you hear a lot, right? Like people who are film people versus TV people. It's like the commitment of shows is too much for film right. people because you just commit two hours and you've watched that film. Whereas you have to commit so much time to watch a show, especially like a lot of the all-time greats are at least four or five seasons. So the fact yeah. that The Leftovers is 28 episodes, that makes sense that that's the one you were like, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> Very easy to get through that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a number of other reasons, but I know down the road you're going to want to ask more about like specifically the leftovers, so I'm going to save it for that. But yeah. my problem isn't so much the, de the devotion of time. I love giving stuff, even if they're super long, their dues. So like right. I've seen a lot of really long films. Uh, mm -hmm. Satan Tango is seven and a half hours. Um, Berlin Alexanderplatz is like 15. I didn't watch it all in one shot, this <laughs> one, but I broke it up. Yeah. It's like 15 hours. Yeah. Um, Oh goodness, I've seen a lot. The uh the up series where it's like a documentary every seven years, that's like I don't even know how many hours, but it's it's a really long project. Um if it's worthwhile, it's worthwhile. I think the longest mm. thing I've seen in like one sitting, I hate to admit this, is that um uh Showa, that that Holocaust documentary, I, which I think I, is like ten hours. <laughs> yeah, I wanna watch that eventually. <laughs> in one yeah, sitting yeah. though is very, yeah. very yeah. hard. But that's insane. Say, that's actually insane. You watched it in one sitting. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I devoted it a weekend and I, well, not a weekend, like a, like, you know, a Saturday, let's say. And I okay. said, okay, let's, let's try this. And it, it's hard on the heart. It's a very heavy, heavy, heavy documentary, but yeah. it's also much that my problem is I'm a completionist. 
So whether it's like from years ago when I was studying to do my master's, I started MASH and I never finished it. And I know like I have like this lingering feeling where it's like I never finished MASH, but it's like however many episodes. So I relate to that. Or it's like a Dexter where I feel like the show became crap. Yeah. And it's like, but I feel like I have to finish it because I started this thing and it's like, yeah. ah, you know, so yeah. I don't like that either. So as you'll find out soon, most of the shows I love are ones that I watched after the fact or not necessarily while they were on the air. Because, yeah. you know, it's still waiting or I just love watching the finished product and knowing that it's going to yeah. be great or it gets better. So it's, it's yeah. my own problem, really. Yeah. So that's fair enough that you you do commit. It's not just the fact that it's long, like you're pushing it off. So that leads to my next question. So you have, even though you are more of a movie person, you have seen a good amount of shows. Um, If anyone, if we do have listeners out there who've listened to all our podcasts, they have a pretty good idea of me and Luke, what our favorite shows are. We did a top 10 list. We keep doing deep dives on all our favorites. So before we get into the leftovers, uh, I just wanted to ask you, if you had to do a top five, like favorite dramas, because comedies are great too, but let's just focus on dramas for this. If you had to do a top five dramas, what are your five favorite dramas of all time? Well, I thank you for saying dramas because I'll tell you what my top five is and then I'll replace the last one with, with a drama. Um, okay, my no top five right now is uh, my number one is Six Feet Under. Yep. It's forever my favorite show. That could always change, but it's been that way for over 10 years at this point. My mm-hmm. number two is Mad Men. Um, currently, nice. my number three, I believe. Actually, I'm going to go with with uh, Twin Peaks with the miniseries included. Yeah, uh, so the Peaks. return, uh, the leftovers. I think those are like my three and four, kind of back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, now, my number five, because of how often I watch it, it's usually Seinfeld. So that doesn't really fit. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I the wire, the wire makes more sense as like you know another tie in that third spot. So okay, mm-hmm. that's fair. Um, yeah, those are all fucking great shows. I have not seen Six Feet Under, so now's a good time to plug the fact that I am watching it right now, and we will do we will be doing a podcast on it later with me and Luke because Luke's already seen it as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but yeah, that's oh, a great that, that's a, a great number one pick though. Like I've heard how many people love Six Feet Under, and in terms of thematically, isn't it somewhat similar to The Leftovers in terms of like grief, dealing with grief, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, in terms of like how they maybe Six Feet Under is a little more focused on death, but I think yeah. both shows have death as like a central premise to like their show. So yeah. like basically yeah. dealing with death, I think more so is definitely. Yeah, because yeah, like The Leftovers is more like the treatment of like life as a as a mythos, including death, whereas Six Feet Under is predominantly each episode has a death. Yeah. What does this right. mean to them? How does this affect our lives? The, the, you know, the grieving that we're dealing with, yeah. um, you know, our own personal problems. Are they trivial? Do they add up to the great bigger picture? You know, it's, it's written by Alan Ball, who also did American Beauty. So it's, it's all of this existential, right. you know, which technically so is the leftovers. But I think, mm-hmm. uh, as, as, as Luke pointed out, it's, it's more of, a, of like a harmony, like a yin and a yang mm-hmm. um, with, with the leftovers, whereas Six Feet, with six feet under it's less about the appreciation of life and more about the readiness of death so yeah it's, it's more focused on the yang let's say yeah definitely yeah. that's a great way to put it yeah that's well well said um so you already talked about when you watched the leftovers so i'll add in if i had to guess i think luke you're the you were the first one to watch it right because i also watched the leftovers this year during the pandemic yep um probably around a similar time as you andreas because i watched it like pretty early in the pandemic like in 
So it was like around March or April, something like that. It was similar thoughts where I was like, it's only 28 episodes. A big reason why I watched The Leftovers, and this will come up throughout the episode. Have you seen Lost, Andreas? Yeah, so Lost is one of those ones. I was just discussing this, and I hate to admit it. So Lost, I watched up until season three, the first time I got around to it. Right. And at the time... And this is this is like a big problem with me and, and TV shows. Or back when I was a teenager, let's say, this was a big problem with me. Mm-hmm. That's when it was like the commitment thing, mm-hmm. where it's like, I can't commit to TV shows because Six Feet Under, which was like the first show I watched in completion, um, I was only like 19 or 20. So this was like, this wasn't like when I was young. I, I wasn't, um, you know, my family grew up on TV, but we grew up on episodic stuff. So like, you know, house was like the biggest that it ever got when it came to like the, the overarching characters. But otherwise it was mm-hmm. like CSI, um, friends, stuff where it's like stuff is resolved in the half an hour or the 45 yep. minutes. Mm-hmm. So when it came to like Lost, I just, it's not that I lost interest. I just couldn't keep up. It was like, you know, if you mm-hmm. jog every morning, I just couldn't commit. So mm-hmm. uh, the problem is, uh, if, if listeners are really young and he, if you know Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. Lost was the Game of Thrones in the mid-2000s yeah. where yeah. everybody spoiled the shit out of everything. Yeah. So <laughs> It's one of those shows, the pop culture phenomenon where it's like, you haven't seen it, but you know about it and you know what happens. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. like, yeah, unfortunately, I know exactly how it ends. So even when I try yeah. to like revisit it, it's unfortunate because I think the first season is magnificent. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, two and three are also fantastic. And I think if I had to rank pilots, this pilot's one of the greats. So yep. yeah, absolutely. Um, and so unfortunately, if you know what happens, you're like, mm-hmm. well, I don't want to spoil that show, but like, yeah, you yeah. know, it's like, well, yeah. I know what's going on right now. And I know why this yeah. inexplicable shit's happening. So it's like, yeah. eh, I, I don't know. Unfortunately, it's been ruined for me, but I do want to finish it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair enough that, that you haven't made your way through it yet. Cause it is a hard show to commit to. It goes all over the place and like the cultural phenomenon thing's huge. But I just wanted to bring it up because that's the reason I watched The Leftovers is because I'm a massive fan of Lost and Lost mm-hmm. was the show that got me into television, like pretty much because I was 13 years old when it finished. And that year I was 13 and my family started binging it. Like we had the DVDs because it was before Netflix, right? So we would rent yeah. all the DVDs and watch it. And like, I was 13, like what are my older brothers and mom watching? And I just kind of like, was like, what's this island? And I was this young kid who just, and it blew me away <laughs> and I started crying when it ended. So like, it just like, that's how attached I got to it. And then obviously all these years later, I was like, Damon Lindelof who made The Lost, they say this is his masterpiece, The Leftovers, right? So I'm like, if I was that attached to Lost, it's still one of my favorite shows. It's still in my top 10, even though it's more flawed and there's more problems with it. I'm so attached to those characters that I was like, I got to watch The Leftovers eventually at some point. So as soon as the pandemic happened, I was like, this is the time to watch Damon Lindelof's masterpiece. It's the same writer. And like, I feel like we were kind of comparing Six Feet Under to The Leftovers. Mm-hmm. I feel like Lost is honestly comparable because a lot yeah, of Lost, a lot of, a lot of Lost is like plot driven network television, which is slightly like it's worse quality in a lot of ways. Yeah. But a lot of it is philosophical and a lot of it is faith based. And like, I feel like Damon Lindelof took all the faith stuff from Lost and like all the philosophical, like what's the mean, what does it mean to be special, like that kind of stuff. And like he just, he took the pretty much the smart aspects of Lost and he made his own show with it. <laughs> Obviously, The Leftovers is based on a book. So I'm sure he, when he read the book, he was passionate about the book and realized there was some parallels. But I feel like him as a TV writer was able to like take the stuff he tried to do on Lost and like perfect it on The Leftovers because it's a way more flawless show, The Leftovers. But I still yeah. find myself more attached to Lost just because how young I was when I watched it. But 
there's just the fact that he wrote it. I was like, I got to watch his masterpiece. Everyone says this is Damon Lindelof's masterpiece. And so I watched it at the beginning of the pandemic and loved it. So I feel like Damon Lindelof is such a fantastic indicator of what TV audiences and the scope of pop culture can do to somebody who's trying something different. So um, I actually don't recall. Uh, have either of you seen Twin Peaks by Mark Frost and David nope. Lynch? We have not, but we really want to watch it. <laughs> yep. yeah. So Lost and David Lindelof in general, and also Leftovers, are insanely inspired by Twin Peaks. But yeah. so are a number of things. Like yeah. Wayward Pines is like a borderline direct ripoff of, yeah. of, of Twin Peaks. Uh, Riverdale, that you know, that Archie comics where it's yeah. like, you know, Cheryl Blossom's mm. twin brother gets killed or whatever. That's mm -hmm. heavily inspired by Twin yeah. Peaks. Like there's a lot of shows that, even Sopranos, because Sopranos... I was gonna... I was gonna say the dreams in Sopranos. Right? Yeah, it's kind of Lynchian. Yeah, but it's not even just the dreams. Like I feel like um, because Twin Peaks was like one of the first cinematic shows, so even like the the kind of normal parts of Twin Peaks feel right. like they are meant for like more of like a movie theater in the eighties or the or you know the early nineties more than they are meant for TV. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, even, uh, you know, The Sopranos was like, why aren't we making cinematic stuff for TV? So um, mm -hmm. anyway, to go back to the original point, uh, Lost is definitely influenced by, by Twin Peaks. But uh, regardless, I feel like Damon Lindelof was always trying to do different things. So Lost mm -hmm. is definitely like a, a metaphysical type of television show where you're supposed to like answer stuff online by talking to people, trying to mm -hmm. figure out stuff. It tried to go the extra mile in the same way that Twin Peaks tried to break apart what the nuclear family or this kind of society on television would look like because David Lynch just loves deconstructing stuff. So Blue, Blue Velvet feels like his version of a John Hughes film, but like breaking it and reassembling it. This is like his soap opera. And in the mm -hmm. same way, this is what Lindelof and I, we're obviously placing more emphasis on Lindelof than J.J. Abrams because we yeah. know this is Lindelof, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Lost is his version of trying to deconstruct, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that type of mystery television series. Mm -hmm. So what happened with Lost? Lost became the biggest show at the time. Mm -hmm. What happened? It became a big letdown at the time as well, depending on who you ask, because mm -hmm. so much onus was placed on it. Maybe they overstayed their welcome. Yeah. yeah. But what... Sorry? Uh, sorry, I was just going to say, I honestly think that if Damon Lindelof had more control over the show, I don't think it, because the early parts of Lost, you're right, it's all about the mysteries. And that's a lot of J.J. Yeah. Abrams' influence, because he likes the whole mystery box thing. And I think yeah. Damon Lindelof and the because J.J. Abrams wasn't involved in the later seasons of Lost. He was only in the very beginning, like the first season. And I feel yeah. like if Damon Lindelof had more control, people wouldn't have been as let down in the end, because it's all Damon Lindelof in the end. It gets all like faith-based and philosophical and all those people who cared about the mysteries, that's why it's known as like a bad ending. A lot of people say it's like one of the worst endings. Whereas I love the ending because mm -hmm. it becomes so deep in terms of the characters. It's all about the characters. But people who weren't as interested in the characters and were more interested in the mysteries and the plot, they were let down. Cause it's like, oh, they didn't answer all these questions I had. But like the journey of the characters is what Damon Lindelof cared about. And that's why I love the ending. Because there are there is a minority of people that love the ending. Like Luke, you like the ending too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there you That's go. exactly where I'm getting at though. Like, uh, so Lost became a part of the zeitgeist. People felt quote unquote let down. What happens if you give Damon Lindelof a show where A, he's like in the most control, and B, there's none of this huge media or pop culture, you know, um, expectation surrounding it and, and C 
or uh, was I doing numbers or letters? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, think you, I think letters. Here goes. Yeah. And, and yeah, I C, think C. Yeah, that'd be C. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> fine. And, and C, it's on HBO where it's completely unhinged. You don't have to worry about the money you bring in because it's only subscription based. If nobody likes the leftovers, they're paying for other stuff. So either paying for Game of Thrones, they're paying for whatever shows, you know, the Sex in the City reunions, whatever. So it doesn't yeah. matter. You can make these experiments and see what happens. So um, the first season of The Leftovers is based on the book. The rest is completely yeah. Damon Lindelof. That's, yeah. that's him doing yep. whatever he wants. So... Mm -hmm. This is what you get. And I hope, you know, and now we have further evidence that he's great at what he does because we have Watchmen. Yeah, right? great show, so, great show. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I really hope that, I actually did Watchmen before The Leftovers because, you know, it was even shorter. And it's like, yeah. this is like my, my appetizer. So yeah. I really hope that people really look at this guy differently because mm -hmm. the way I see it, even if your experiments suck, you tried something else. So why yeah. is Lost the worst ending ever? It isn't. Even if you don't yeah. like it, it tried something different. Exactly. Sopranos tried something different. You might not like the ending, but it's different. It, it mm -hmm. didn't go for like the, the soft underhanded pass. Mm -hmm. It really tried something else. And when you don't succeed, I think Lost is a good effort. If you do succeed, you get the leftovers. And like, yep. why are we trying to stymie that? We should be encouraging creativity even at its worst. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I agree with all that, except I still think he did uh, he, he did hit it with the Lost. I still think he hit it with Lost, even oh, yeah, though people sure. would say he failed, but he still didn't, in my opinion. Uh, but it's still a bold, creative choice yeah, on his it, behalf. I, so, everything you said is still very true. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was like, yeah, he just had a lot more things to deal with with Lost. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not speaking, like, personally yeah. with Lost, because, yeah. again, I haven't yeah. seen it. I just know what happens with... Yeah. Exactly. I don't want to spoil, but like they're yeah. all in a place, let's just say. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just speaking on behalf of like the reception. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah exactly. And Definitely. I'm happy that, yeah, because I, I had to bring up Lost just because you guys were bringing up Six Feet Under. And I know for a fact when we get into details and we get into our leftovers deep dive, which we're going to be starting shortly, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm going to be making comparisons to Lost throughout. I'll be like, oh, that reminded me of this scene in Lost. Like, so I'll be doing that just because. But it almost felt like a second chance for him. It the did. way that I've yeah. been trying to like tell the show to my friends, like this is my pitch is basically Lost, but they figured out everything before they started and exactly. uh, he got a chance to do whatever he wanted. So exactly. that's, that's what The Leftovers is. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's a way more focused version of Lost and way more smarter too. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. Okay. Oh yeah, sorry, Luke, when did you watch The Leftovers? Last thing. Oh, uh, I watched it summer of 2019 going into my sophomore year. There isn't really a story behind it, but I binged it all in five days. The whole thing in five days. Yeah. Damn. I think I started out, I watched like the first three episodes in one night. I'm like, damn, that was really good. And you then the, then the next day I finished season one and then I knocked out seasons two and three within three days. So yeah, wow. I benched that the is, fuck out of it. That's a yeah. really good binge. Three I, days. Damn. I think mine was like a week. So five days. Yeah, it was just a week. Mine was like two weeks, I think. <laughs> I like I going just, slow. I like doing like one a night, two a night kind of thing. Oh, I, can't, I, I can't do that. I like it when it lasts longer. I don't know. I just like that. Yeah. I wish I did, but again, I'm, I'm a completionist. So it's like, I have to finish this now. So yeah. like, um, there's, there's times where I'll, I'll get to a point in a show where I'm like, fuck it. But I, for the most part, I try to space it. Out. I was in the mood to grind at the time. I'm like, yeah, I'm binging all of this. This is just great yeah. storytelling. I'm yeah. doing BoJack Horseman right now, and I only oh, yeah. started on Hell Thursday, yeah. and I'm about to finish season five. So, like, that's me. I just yeah. I have oh, to shit. do it all. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> I have to that's, do it all. That's impressive. Yeah. How are I'll you liking BoJack? 
oh my god, I'm I'm adoring it. So if you right. have a Bojack episode, can I please join? <laughs> Wait, that uh, might that might be our next, next. time. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I would, uh, you, you'll you'll know that I'm ready by then because I'm basically gonna finish tomorrow. So yeah, that's sweet. Because literally, that's like the last show that's in both of our top tens. So we're like, we got to do the shows that are in both of our top tens, and we haven't done Bojack yet. So that actually works really well. Wait, sure. wait. Today is Tuesday, Monday, Monday, Monday. Yeah. and you started Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is wow well that's done. some real grinder shit luckily yeah. my my nine to five whether it's my website or my nine to five uh it, it permits me to be able to have it on while i work so okay You're okay that's so good. that helps yep. yeah um also one last clarification about the leftovers which i forgot to bring up uh i technically started like back in 2016 uh, i watched the first two episodes but i was doing my master's and i just i couldn't i it wasn't like the show itself I just couldn't continue it because I, my, my degree was like really kicking my rear end. So yeah. that's like, I have to put this on hold. So when I did finally get to it, I knew what I was in store for. Right. But it was like th- that however long period of time where it's like, oh, I really want to get back to this. But when I did get back to it, I restarted it, even the two episodes that I saw, just so I could like be fresh again. So mm-hmm. right. um, technically that's like my actual watching history i tried to attempt it earlier school got in the way so yeah yeah you had to put it off fair enough um okay let's get into the leftovers deep dive so the way we start our deep dives is we rank the seasons because it just starts out a little more general talk in terms of seasons so it's going to be a little harder with three of us because with two you can just go back and forth what were your rankings but with three of us i guess i'll just say what my season rankings are and then you guys just if you agree or disagree where where those disagreements are or if they're the same or not so I go for my season rankings, my favorite season, season two, then I go season three, and then season one. Same. Yeah, I go two, three, one. Okay. I'm going to go three, two, one, so basically in reverse order. Reverse order. Okay, fair enough. Um, so I guess I'll just talk about why season two is my favorite. Um, yeah. I just really like the introduction of um, the family, the Murphy family, I think they were, the Murphy family, mm-hmm. and, the, yeah. and the introduction of Miracle. The introduction of Miracle was like one of, hands down, probably my favorite part of the show. Because I just like how they, season one felt just so depressing. And it, it, it's depressing for a reason. But I just like the change where it's like, they focus on a place where it's like a miracle. What happened? It's like, oh, we're the ones who were spared. Like, it's just, I love the change there. And it just, it was just such an interesting change. And then I, I, I would argue it's the most like focused season, in my opinion, in terms of like a start to finish story. The way Definitely they the use, most cohesive. Yeah, the way they use the mystery mm-hmm. of like the daughter who goes missing and how they joined the GR and like all that stuff. And then the way the way it ends, I honestly think as much as I love season three, it's great. I like if the worst case scenario, season two's ending, that could have worked as a series finale, in my opinion. Like him. Yeah, if it got cancelled, yeah. Yeah. It like that could have I, I would have been satisfied with that as the series finale. That's how good season two is. And it's just yeah, it's my favorite. Um and I do love season three. So yeah, why do you prefer season three, Andreas? So for me, I view each season, and I don't know if this is intentional on, on behalf of, of the showrunners and David Lindelof and all of that, but um, I view each season as serving a different purpose. The first one is the dread of what happened and you know, instilling what the world is looking like, what little cults are forming, how it shifted people's beliefs or affected their depression. Season two as you said, introduces us to Miracle and also some of the other alternative resolutions. So there's this town that didn't even get affected at all by by the departure. Um, what's going to happen with the families that we've previously seen because they've all gone through their own set of, of changes. 
Mm-hmm. But sees and, and it introduces us into this afterlife sort of kind of parallel dimension, whatever you want to call it. Yes, yeah. there yeah. is no real definition. Um, yeah. Season three, and it, why it's my favorite, is it extends everything to this massive mythological proportion where it's like, now that we've achieved the afterlife, we can look at it as how it's affecting all these belief systems with Kevin being regarded as like this type of new God and yeah, God Jesus. himself is technically yeah. just like a person that can also transition from life and death, like Kevin himself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it, it takes everything to this monumental level where it's like, mm-hmm. um, there's no coincidence as to why the first episode of that season's the book of Kevin and the, the last is the book of Nora, yeah. where it's uh, comparing these perspectives to the perspectives in the Bible, as you brought up, Damon Lindloff injects yeah. a lot of faith-based related stuff into his stories. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with whether you're religious or not. It, it's it's uh, palatable to everyone, I think. Anybody yeah. who views it, as long as you like believe that like, you know, you have like your own eternal soul, not yeah. religious or anything, but just like the fact that you're alive, you can identify with stuff. So um, it just takes everything to this massive level where it's like, how can we make this, and that's where it kind of like resolves what the show entirely is to me. Not just the fact that these people departed, but the resolution in creating this new religion or this new faith or these new idols when really these are just people, people who, who withstood the test of time against one of the great tragedies in this fictional fictional universe. So um, that's like, it, it takes, a really good show and makes it like untouchable. That's why I love season three. Season three is like a story straight from the Bible. It feels like it's like really biblical. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah. The stuff with Kevin, don't they say he's Jesus and stuff? Like there's, um, like they even wrote a book about him. Yeah. (laughs) Matt writes a book about him. Yeah. That, that's great. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like, it's the actual Genesis of a new religion, but you know, the difference here is it wasn't started by him. You know, the God character, like, you know, that Australian guy, I don't know what his name is. Yeah. Uh, he clearly is doing it himself where he's like giving out those cards being like, Oh yeah, I'm God. I, I could talk to the dead, which technically he can, but he's not, mm-hmm. you know, he's not the creator of all things. Meanwhile, yeah. Kevin's like, I don't want to be this. Don't yeah. worship he's me. Just a, that almost gives us incentive, you know? Yeah. It's like, <clears> he's stuck with it. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm not trying to uh, like say season two is a hundred percent better, but one, one thing in my opinion that, uh, I, ju- I just feel like season three, a lot of the episodes are very disjointed. Like each episode disjointed. is fantastic on its own, but like mm-hmm. it just feel a little separate from each other. Whereas like season two is like more of a cohesive story, if that makes sense. That's so, true. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it just feels like the way it changes each episode so much is, is just slightly, slightly weaker, even though I still love it. And it's like just a hair behind season two. That's the and main that, reason. And I agree, because typically I like like um, the episodic nature of shows, but the fact that it was like its final season and it was getting towards the end, it felt like you, the vision wasn't clear. It, it holds up a lot better on rewatch, but the vision wasn't clear of where the show was heading. So like, I was uncertain of whether I was loving it or not when I was first watching season three. On my yeah. rewatch, though, because I, I rewatched the show, season three was an incredible experience that I really appreciated more. Yeah. It feels, like, it feels like they did have a vision specifically, like the way Andrea said how it got bigger and bigger, but it's just It harder. just wasn't clear. Yeah, it's it wasn't on, like... On your first watch, it's hard to feel that they do when it changes so much. Like, they have mm-hmm. such different things that they're doing each episode. I was just going to say, um, I feel like the reason for that is because it embodies the vignette nature of what these uh, 
these special episodes and i'm going to go into that with with like my favorites when we go, yeah. go into those down the road cool. but there are like character defining episodes or ones with very specific yeah. uh, niche elements and mm-hmm. season three embodies all of those again in like a vignette fashion so when you're watching it for yeah. the first time it's like oh yeah i see what, i see what you guys mean or it's like yeah this is a little disjointed because now we have um we have a uh, uh, kevin garvey senior just running around australia just doing yeah. some shit yeah. um we have when Kevin and Nora go to Australia, we have, uh, you know, the Jill episode. So it's like, okay, I, you know, that's a bit strange. But, you know, when you go back to the whole biblical thing, it's like a set of parables almost or like a set yeah. of like fables where it's like yeah. this does feel like this kind of series of stories that all fit right. together in this holy text. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. it makes sense on a meta level. But like when you're watching it for the first time, yeah, it, it is like this isn't necessarily a story. It's stories. But that's kind of what it is. Yep. No, that's fair. That, that's a very good argument <laughs> on why season three is your favorite. Yeah, because it, it's it's biblical. That's a really good way to put it. And like how yep. the fables stand on their own. Yeah, no, that's well said. Um, I think we can go into episodes. Um, so yes. this it might be a little chaotic with three people. But um, <laughs> I guess we can just, does anyone have honorable mentions outside their top five? I yes. do. Yeah, we all do. Okay. So I was going to say how many, but like, I, I guess, yeah, you have three. Okay. Yep. How many do you have, Andreas? Uh, mine's, mine's a bit weird because, um, with mine, I'm not going to go too deeply into each episode. Uh, right. my top five kind of, I find there's so many parallels that like, well, like my number five, for instance, is like technically two episodes, but like for the same reason, or okay. That's my fair. second That's highest fair. is like two yep. episodes for the same reason. Okay. My honorable mentions, I have basically one mention and okay. I would say that, uh, Actually, I'll, I'll combine that with my number one. You'll see what I mean. Okay, so you're doing a, an interesting combining thing. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. So I guess we'll, me and Luke will just name our honorable mentions. And since we're, there's three of us and we're going to be talking about our top fives more in depth, I'll, I'll just list all my honorable mentions briefly. And there's yeah. probably a chance some of these will be in your top fives. So I'll just name all my honorable mentions. So my first honorable mention, I have um, two boats and a helicopter. That's the third episode of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, my, that's an honorable mention for me because that's the one that really hooked me. Like I did like the pilot a lot and I liked the second episode a lot, but this third episode, it's very Matt centric. It's Matt's, he's trying to, it's the big battle where he's trying to save the church and all that stuff. And he's running all over the place. And this episode is an honorable mention for me just because it hooked me. And it was like, I was so into the show and it really reminded me of Lost. I I said, I'm going to mention Lost. There's the episode where John Locke, I don't know if you remember in season one of Lost, where you find out how he got in the wheelchair, or sorry, you find out he was in a wheelchair. And and like, yeah, that's why he's yeah. like walking around freely yeah. and he's like, oh my so, God, I can walk. Yeah. yeah. The ending of Walkabout from Lost is very similar to the ending of this episode mm, where you yes. find out how Matt's wife, how she's in a coma and like the car yeah. crash that was in the same is the first scene of the whole show. So like just the way they tied yep. in the beginning to the end, it just gave me big Lost vibes. I said I was going to mention these episodes briefly, but I just talked way too much. That's fine. Yeah, um, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, who cares? Uh, and then another honorable mention, I have Guest, season one, episode six. It's like the first Nora-centric episode. Nora's a great yes. character. Um, I have the Garveys at their best, season one, episode nine. I love that episode. It's really interesting. It's the only one that takes place before the departure. It was just really cool to see how different the characters were before it all happened. Um, really good episode. Then I have, it's a Matt, Matt, Matt world, season three, episode five. I love that episode. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's an insanely good episode. Certified, season three, episode six. I love to. That's, uh, Lori gets a lot of focus in that episode. I don't love Lori in the beginning, but this episode like made her one of my favorite characters. So I love that episode. And then I actually have the series finale, The Book of Nora, as an honorable mention. That might be really? a shocker. That might be a shocker. I know. I'll get into 
slight reasons why it's not in my top five. Because in general, I do love the ending, especially the final scene. The final scene of the show is like outstanding, but just the final episode, there's just one or two slight things that kept it out of my top five. And we'll get into that. I'm sure you guys will have it in your top five. So those are all my honorable mentions. What do you have, Luke? Cool. Yeah. So those three episodes from season one, I really wanted to include as honorable mentions. Uh, the Garbage at Their Best Guest and Two Boats in a Helicopter. Those are like in my top 12. The ones I just mentioned. Yeah. So those, yeah. yeah. And I don't love It's a Matt, Matt, Matt world as much um, as you do, probably. I love the idea of the episode. It's just the placing of the episode that, I don't know, that's what yeah. brings it down a little bit. The content of the episode is great, though. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. The, the, the ending of that episode is one of my favorite endings. It's just yeah. hilarious. It's so good. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, now that you mentioned a couple of those, and it's interesting that so many of your honorable mentions are, are season one ones, because I, yeah. I would feel the same sentiment. Um that that Nora episode, and I, I just want to make a quick correction. I feel like I might have said Jill Garvey earlier in the episode. I, I met Lori. <laughs> it's been oh, a while since I've watched it. I think you did say Jill, and I was confused. Isn't Jill not in season three? Is what I was thinking. But right, you meant no, Lori. it's yeah, yeah, the Lori yeah. specific episode. Yeah, yeah that yeah, that's I mean, what no. I meant. Yeah, that's no. the one I said certified <laughs> is the one you meant. Gotcha. Exactly. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. I think you so, meant the Nora specific episode, right? Well, like in in season one, yeah. But like earlier in the episode, I said, um. I said Jill Garvey's uh, season three episode when I met I met Lori. Yeah. Oh, Jill's you met Lori. Okay, I see. I see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I got but, that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the Nora specific episode in season in season one is is fantastic, and I do love it. And uh, we're gonna get into characters, but you know, yeah. slight spoiler yeah. alert: I do love Nora. So yeah, yeah, same. Um, <laughs> yeah. If I had to pick honorable mentions, they'd probably all come from season one as well. But yeah. Um, yeah. Luke, oh yeah. Luke was gonna yeah. Mention his honorable that mentions. wasn't my actual honorable yeah. mentions. I was just oh, saying. My bad. Yeah. an honorable honorable mention yeah you were just, just saying <laughs> i was i basically listed my honorable mentions from season one and luke was saying i like those episodes too but he didn't get to his so <laughs> oh, yeah. no, 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 sorry yeah, no you're good. All good so i have three um g'day melbourne uh season three episode four they go to australia for the first time yes. um yeah. kevin sees evie but it's really just some girl in australia yeah. um and the iconic scene where him and Noah have that fight in the hotel room yeah obviously yes. great uh Another honorable mention, Certified Season 3, Episode 6. This is right. basically, like, the good – because, like, the, the finale is only focused on Kevin and Nora pretty much. So this is, yeah. like, the the goodbye to, like, the entire cast of characters. So yeah. I think that was done beautifully. Certified was done beautifully. Um, and then uh, but my other honorable mention, this would probably be my sixth favorite episode of the show, uh, A Most Powerful Adversary. This is the episode right before International Assassin where Kevin right. dies. Mm. Yep. So – yeah, that would be my number six. So those are your honorable mentions. Okay, yeah. yeah. Let's get into the top five. So, Andres, you can start us off. So, uh, just with number five? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so number five, uh, we've already briefly talked about this a little bit. I'm smushing together two specific Matt episodes. So not It's a Matt, Matt, Matt world, which I think is still great. Yeah. But specifically two boats and a helicopter and no room at the end, which I right. feel like no the first the one, yeah. as, as you discussed, that was... Um, Earlier in the episode, I said, I watched two episodes and I couldn't keep going because of, of my masters. Yeah. I feel like I would have had late assignments if I carried on to episode yeah. three. Like, like, <laughs> I said, like I said, that's the one that hooked me. You were one away from the one that hooked me. So exactly. So if I saw yeah. that, I would have been like, oh my God, yeah. fuck everything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so true. <laughs> um, we're going to get into characters later on, but um, yeah. that episode... I remember Matt was really irritating to me until I saw that. And it's like, wow, I love this guy. And yeah, yeah. Um, the fact that it was able to feel like a short film 
even mm. though it's technically not, it's like over 40 minutes, which is like the minimum length of a feature film or, you know, feature, right, depending on who you ask. Uh, so it still is like a short story of sorts where right. you're following this guy. And even if you've never seen anything else in the show, you don't understand anything else about the show. You can watch this and be like, wow, I felt something. And yeah. I feel like um, the sister episode of it, No Room at the End, which is an episode or in season two, where yeah. it's him trying to basically find solace with his wife, who's still wheelchair bound. And mm-hmm. also at the same time, awaiting her waking up again and being conscious again. Yeah. Um, it's like that, but like exemplified, especially with like, they're trying to escape through through like the the tunnel and then like the flood comes out and like starts destroying everything uh, you know they get taken advantage of it just it's so much stuff that matt has to deal with but mm-hmm. at the same time uh it's like is this because of his faith or is he just a strong person who just is trying to find good in the world and unfortunately it's a mad 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 world whatever it is um gives us the answer he loses his religion and he basically has to rely on himself because you know he stared god straight in the face and didn't get anything back it's still an excellent episode but i feel like the other two are just so strong and conveying the same thing without the orgies as well that also helps yeah yeah i i I, part of why i put it's a mad mad world as an honorable mention it's just crazy. Like, it's just when, when you're watching an episode mm-hmm. and you're just like, I've never seen anything like this. This is nuts. It's just, <laughs> yes. it makes me appreciate it more, even though you're right. It's a little ridiculous. All the orgies and the tiger and all that, <laughs> or the lion, it's a lion, right? The ending of that yeah. episode is just so great with Matt smiling and the lion runs and eats and God. Kills yeah, God. Yeah, 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 it kills God. <laughs> that was just such a good ending that I, I loved that episode in general, even though yeah. it is a little ridiculous. So I get yeah. why you, like, you prefer the other two Matt episodes, which makes sense to me. Yeah. I do. I still like that one, but yeah. like only marginally less. When I say ridiculous, I mean in a good way. Like it's yeah. like entertaining yeah. ridiculous. I don't yeah. think any episode of the show is necessarily bad or mediocre yeah. or anything. Right. But yeah. Those other two, I feel like in their purpose of just being a Matt episode and exemplifying his character, because it's a Matt Matt world, even though it's literally named after him, is also speaking on behalf of those he's party to. So, you know, yeah. um, you know, everybody else that he's with, you know, the main characters on the boats. Mm-hmm. So um, it's doing a little bit more, and I feel like it's more of service to the season rather than the other two episodes, which are like completely his. Yeah, it's more of a character focused. I agree. Yeah, it's all yeah. about Matt. Uh, yeah. So Luke, what do you have at number five? So number five, I have the Prodigal Son Returns, season one finale. Yeah. Um, I think this episode kind of gets overshadowed by the seasons two, two and three finales, but I think this episode is like just as great. Like it's yeah. it's an it's an incredible uh, finale to a great first season. Yeah, I, I actually have it at number four. <laughs> so, oh, nice. Like, yeah, that's what one thing. Since there's three of us, if someone has an episode you have, you can just kind of mention where you have it. Um, just because. Did, like, did we, you say your number five yet? I haven't said my number five, but I okay. just want to like just in case I repeat. That's all I just wanted to say. Like, is that yeah. I also have the season one finale at number four. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't watched in so long. Um, I think I actually kind of want to save this thought for when I get to the season two finale because I have the okay. season two finale that's in my fair. top five. That's so. Fair. I was going to kind of compare the season one and two finales, and then I'll go into more depth okay. again. So then I'll just say what my number five is, yeah. So my number five, I have a Lens, season two, episode six. And um, I pretty much have this episode as number five because uh, it has one of my favorite scenes in the whole show. I'm kind of spoiling. We were going to talk about favorite scenes at some point. But um, the scene with Erica and Nora, when she asked her about her kid, did they die or did they depart? That like mm-hmm. intense scene where they're, that confrontation and like the, the really, really close zoom zooms, like right into their faces. It's literally just their eyes pretty much. 
And the way like Nora slowly gets more and more devastated as she keeps like pressing her, like did they die or did they depart? And the mm. way like the power shifts, because like it starts with like Nora's the one in control and then Erica just changes it up yep. and like, it's just, that's one of my favorite scenes in the show. And the ending when she throws the rock at the window and then you just see her like face and right where the glass shattered. Yeah, it scared the fuck it. out of me the first time yeah, I watched. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a season two episode that I finished and I was like, that's when this show got to like a new level. Like I love season one, but then when that episode finished, it was like, this show is like an all time great for me. After I watched that episode, it was yep. so good. And it's also during uh, the rock throwing is also during a very confrontational scene, I believe, between Kevin and Nora. So yep. you're like already feeling yep. like yep. vulnerable, and then yeah, uh, and then you get like that smashing effect, yep. and you don't see yep. it coming because Ke Kevin Kevin's, admits something, doesn't he? Admit something he, big. Well, he says he's been seeing pa Patty Levin. So yes. at first, yeah, he's been admitting that he's hallucinating. He's been and seeing then he's, Patty, yeah. and then he said. Patty said that something bad is about to happen, and that's when uh, the rock is thrown through the window. Yeah, it's perfect timing. Yeah, it's so yeah. well executed. I love that episode. That's my number five. Uh, so what's your number four, Andreas? Yeah, no, th those are all great selections so far. Uh, my number four we've talked about uh, already briefly. It's a Most Powerful Adversary, which actually follows right. Lens. So right, right. at this point, Nora, who, you know, warned Kevin, I can't deal with enough stuff right now, he continued anyway she abandoned ship and right. basically having to fend off patty levens himself uh you know trying to like break off the uh the handcuffs uh mm -hmm. but my favorite part even though we we're going to discuss scenes later but still we have to discuss scenes right when he goes for help and um you know he's basically told you know you're gonna have to die and i'll bring you back and he takes the the, the poison you know he goes mm -hmm. on the ground and then you see the syringe being emptied. It's like, mm -hmm. wait, okay, hang on. So am I correct in thinking that he's leaving him to die? Or like maybe he's going to replace him with something else or maybe this will be fine. And then the guy fucking kills himself. So it's like, yeah. never mind, he's dead. So yeah. like, yeah. it is such a shock to watch yeah. for the first time. Yeah. Where it's like, what in the hell is going to happen yeah. now? Like you don't know. So this yeah. is either going to break all sorts of confinements that the show can have with Kevin being dead and whatnot, or he's simply dead and we don't know what's going to happen here on out. Of course the former happened, but you have no idea the yeah. first time you're watching. So That's... what did you guys think when you first watched? Did you think he was dead? Cause I didn't buy that he was going to die. I thought yeah. some way, somehow he would be back. I, I, I think it's probably on my first watch, the most shocking moment in the whole show almost like, cause I, I was shook like, but at the same time I did have the thought in the back of my mind, they're not going to kill Kevin. Like, there's going to be more here. So yeah. I I had the same, the way Andreas explained the syringe, and then he kills himself. I had those exact feelings. Like, when the syringe happens, you're like, oh, this is, this is a scam. He's just going to let him die. But then he shoots himself, and you're like, wait, he's actually been honest. This, like, this is a real thing kind of thing. Like, why would he just kill himself if he was just scamming him the whole time? So it's just like, you don't really know what the fuck's going on, and it's just such a shock. I think so. it's beautiful because you you do have that confliction where it's like, oh, he might be back because he's the star of the show. But that extra gut punch where I don't remember his name, uh, the the kid, the guy, right? no, the guy who shoots himself. Oh, oh, the guy who shoots himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. When when he does that, something deep inside of you knows. Okay, now he's not coming back. Yeah, so at least yeah. there's still that finality where it's like, you're right. we're not sure about Kevin. Yeah. This guy's gone. So. Yeah, at least right. they established the stakes there where he just blows his head off. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a great episode. That was, was that an honorable mention for you, Luke? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was my number had, six. It was your number six. You had it at four. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so what do you have at four, Luke? So I have the season two finale. I live here now. 
And my favorite scene is the ending scene where Kevin comes home. And a lot of people say that is the moment where his wish came true because, because remember uh, Holy Wayne allowed it, granted him one wish in the season yeah. one finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of people think he wished to be with his family. So he came home to his family, but yeah. I was going to also going to say the end of se- of the season one finale, you could also argue is the moment his wish came true. Uh, his dog came back. Um, he was right. with Joe again. You could argue that the wish came true then as well. Yeah, all of the finales, um, they all have Nora saying one final line. I don't remember exactly right. what they're verbatim. I think the first one is, look what I have here. Which look is what I found. Baby. Yeah, look right. what I found, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second one is, you're home. And the, and the third one is, I I'm think here. you're here. Or, I'm it, here. I'm something here like or something? That. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if was... you combine those all together, it's yeah. like one sentence that embodies the entire show. So yeah. um, it's that's also crazy, but... Yeah, like the, the the finale, the the second season finale, and it's you know the parallels between that and the first one, where it's like the ideas of family, where Jill, okay, it's actually Jill this time, almost gets burnt alive. Um, <laughs> yeah. Laurie says the first word you hear her say post departure in the yeah. entire show. She yep. yells Jill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now Jill's... you know that that's broken, that vow yeah. of silence. Yeah. You know, as an effort to save her daughter. Yeah. And then yeah, uh, you brought it up earlier, Gabe. When if the show were to be canceled. Mm-hmm. And it was just season two. That panning shot of like the extended family, everyone's there, adopted, mm-hmm. uh, you know, blood, marital, everyone is there, and it's mm-hmm. just such a beautiful shot. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, both of those episodes are in my top five, so I don't want to spoil too much. But I'll say <laughs> that I, I have the season one finale at number four. So yeah, all the stuff with Jill with with the with the house burning down is insane. But also one moment that I love is um. Kevin Kevin gets Nora's letter and Nora they do Nora's voiceover. I don't know if yeah, you remember that. And that's right the, towards the end. Yeah, the voiceover of Nora's letter, like explaining why she has to leave, I think is what she says. Like why right. she can't why she can't be with him. And then yep. it ends with him finding her. Like it's just such a neat irony. And I just love how beautiful. And the baby is the reason that she stayed, I yeah, believe. Yeah, she stayed right? because yeah, she yeah. found the baby. Yeah. And yeah, there's just so much good stuff in that episode. Also, there's a really good scene where Justin Thoreau, like one of his best acted scenes, in my opinion, when he breaks down at a diner in front of oh, Matt. Yeah. I think it's in front of Matt. Yeah. yeah he he it, breaks down at a diner and he like explains how he confesses he his love for his family pretty yeah. much and like how he was worried he was going to lose yeah. them. He also, finally, finally lets out how broken he is pretty much. Yeah. Another great one from the season one finale when he reads the passage uh, from the Bible, Matt has him. Matt has yeah. him read a certain passage. I don't remember exactly what right, it was, right, right. but it completely but, summarizes what kevin is going yeah. through at that time yeah so it's cause, it's it was like a really profound they, moment for him yeah they bury patty's body isn't that what it is because he calls yeah. Matt to help him with patty's body yeah. yeah yeah and another thing i love when nora i think it's in the season one family she stumbles upon the mannequin family but for like a split second you're mm. not quite sure what you're looking at did they come back yeah. from this yeah. distant realm and they came back like this all disfigured and whatnot but yeah. no it's like just a mannequin so for like a yeah. split second you're like her and you're like oh my god what am i looking yeah. at and then you yeah. hear like like her her wounds are open again yeah and it's just yeah. like that vulnerability and that's yeah. partially why she wants to leave but she's helped with the finding of this baby where it's like wait a second i need an immediate fix this fix is a family so yeah what do you what do you need in her idea of a family she lost a husband she lost kids she's yep. got a potential husband she's now got a child and that's kind of like his child his children too yeah. It's kind of like the whole reason that Kevin and Nora's relationship is so toxic too. Cause it's not necessarily that it's more so that they're both so broken that they just kind of latch onto each other rather exactly. than like, they yeah. don't, they actually love each other. Don't get me wrong, but it's, 
it's more than just like yeah. loving each other. It's because they're fucking so broken, so they just yeah. latch onto each other. Especially, especially in season one, I'd argue, yeah, the most. That's the most where their relationship is just latching onto each other. I mean, yeah. they both yeah. find each but other, but then they clash more and more. Divorces, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Or like uh, Kevin's getting ready for divorce. Her husband's dead, so it's like they're both broken people in a court. That's how they right. meet. Yeah, right. that's how they met. You're so right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I think we're on to your th- number three, Andreas. I think. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So this one I have. Good day, Me- uh, Sorry. Good day, Melbourne. And I feel yeah. like, in a lot of senses, this is relatively a basic episode, and I understand why this was um, one of your honorable mentions, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, it's it's a very regular episode, and it's kind of strange that I have it up so high here. But for some reason, just the whole Evie storyline was so impressionable on me, where it's like mm-hmm. you're you're not sure if this is a reopening of this world that Kevin has to go back to, where it's like he's seeing the fallen, or if this is a part of his psychosis, where it's like he's not he's you know he's mm-hmm. hallucinating, he's seeing stuff that he shouldn't be seeing. And, you know, because we know with Patty, Patty, you know, was dead. We saw her in the afterlife. But then this is like a confirmation where it's like, that's not why he saw her. He saw her possibly, in my interpretation, because he's going crazy. And part of that is is defined by him thinking he's seeing Evie when really that wasn't her at all. Mm-hmm. It was uh, some librarian that he followed in Australia who mm-hmm. uh, frankly dealt with a lot more than she than she should have she basically should have just called the cops in my opinion yeah. but yeah um, you know she, she, she let him do whatever he needed but yeah. it's that realization where it's like how broken is Kevin and I think that was just so like that to me was like you just knew in the same way that a most powerful adversary was opening that door to another episode this was going to open up this big finale because you know he's got so much on his plate right now and like mentally he's so fragile so it's like mm-hmm. but if i didn't know what was going to happen before i really don't know what's going to happen now so right yeah 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 i did you guys know like i remember um when he saw evie for the first time i was so confused and then i i did get it pretty quick like i was like i was pretty confident that wasn't her right away like yeah well no i actually um because I love how the show rides like a thin line between mental illness and reality. So yeah. you're never really sure. Yeah. So like, I think after watching season two, I was more invested in like the uh, supernatural element of the show. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, I was like, I thought the show was really buying into that supernatural um, yeah. uh, aspect, but then there's obviously the mental illness aspect. So like, that's not exactly where my mind went to right away. Yeah. So you so, weren't sure, like you weren't sure. Yeah. You were I wasn't to... sure, but I was yeah. more, I was leaning towards more. That was actually Evie and there was something bigger going on. Okay, cool. Yeah. Unfortunately, I also believed it was Evie. Like, uh, okay, cool. and so um, Laurie starts bringing up the whole thing about like, you know, look at the picture on your phone. I was like, ah, shit. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I just yeah. fully, fully yeah. thought that. You were, you were all in there. Yeah. See, that's yeah, probably but... one reason it's slightly lower for me is I not saying the twist took away from it. Cause I think it was purposeful. Like they weren't trying to trick you really but yeah. just i i did like yeah the fact that i knew it right away i was like there's no way that's actually I feel like they kind of try to trick you though because in all of season two he never sees evie because she's not dead she's not departed right right so then when you know that she's dead here or po- possibly dead so it's like wait it brings the possibility again yeah was, is she actually dead and he's seeing her so it's like that's when i was like wait a second what's going on because so much of season two is not seeing her yeah so when you yeah. do see her it's like why are we seeing her so yeah. you know that threw me in a loop 
I thought she was coming back from the other place. Yeah. The place where the dead people are. I thought she was coming back from there and like yeah. communicating yeah. with Kevin somehow. I'm like, something's going on. Yeah. I think you guys are yeah, right. That they were trying to trick you. You're probably right. But at the same time, I'm saying that wasn't like the purpose of the episode because even oh, right. though they, even though they yeah. didn't trick me, it still worked. Like I was still devastated for Kevin, even though I kind of knew that I had a feeling it, he was crazy and that I was right. But at the same time, it still hits hard and the episode's still great. So. I also, I think in this episode, I could be mixing them up. I believe this is the episode where, uh, you know, Nora is trying to figure out her, all of her own little thing. And then she gets left with this predicament where it's like, if you had to hold somebody else's baby while they go do something, but then your, your matters yeah, are now being, you know, um, are being thwarted by this. What do you do with this other person's baby? And that plays into that whole experiment that she's trying to take part in where she right. might be sent to where the departed are and she fails the quiz because she basically answered wrong because of her real life scenario. Yep. Um, that's also a very vital part of the show. And I think that's what also elevated the episode for me. That's a good and I, I love how like, so Kevin and Nora each have their own individual storylines in this episode, but when they do meet up, they clash because they both had a fucking awful day. They both went yeah. through a bunch of shit that day and they just yeah. come home and it's just an explosive final scene, that yeah. fight scene. And the literal burning of the book. So it's like, uh, you know, metaphorically, this Bible that this third season is creating, this is where it actually ends because it's a literal halting of this story. Whatever they're creating about Kevin Garvey as as this new God or Jesus figure, it's literally being burnt right here because he's not right. a God. He's just a guy. He's yep. just a guy who has all of these imperfections, which Nora points out to Matt in another episode. Um, this is where this should end. So, Actually, now I see why I placed this at number three. There's a lot of shit going on here that I really like. Yeah. 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 It's enough. a great, it's a loaded episode. Yeah. There is a lot of good stuff there. Um, uh, so that was your number three, right? Yes. Yeah. So Luke, what's your number three? So my number three is the series finale, The Book of Nora. Okay. Um, I, I liked it on my first watch. I thought it was a nine out of 10. I wasn't, the only thing that kept it from a 10 out of 10 on my first watch was the time jump. So like the only thing that felt a little off was it felt slightly underdeveloped, but as a whole, I was satisfied. I thought the ending scene in particular, like you mentioned was great, but yeah. then on rewatch and I read some Reddit post. See, I wish I'm not going to lie. I don't know. I'm not gonna pretend I know all the symbolism. I'm not going to pretend I know what everything means. Mm -hmm. And also I forgot, but I saw this Reddit post that like broke down the finale and like, it's so fucking I can't even, I'd have to find that Reddit post and like go through it again. But it really made me appreciate the finale more. Yeah, I will definitely be talking about it later. So yeah, hopefully you can yeah. break it down Anything. for me. Yeah. yeah, I will say that one of the reasons I left it out of my uh, top five was because I just find that it was a, I think on rewatch, I would appreciate it more, like you said. But yeah. I just found it, a, it was a strange choice to do a time jump only in the last episode. Like a lot of, there's a lot of time jumps between seasons and stuff in a lot of shows. And I just wasn't used to that. Like you're following these characters. As much as I said, season three is a little disjointed. At least it takes place around the same time. And I guess, fair enough, they do set it up at the end of episode one of season three. There's like Nora way in the future. And you're like, what? Like, and you're confused. Mm -hmm. And then I guess they resolved that storyline. So fair enough, it made sense and it fit. But it just, like you, I, I was confused for a lot of the episode. And I guess I don't like having full-on confusion in a series finale. Because a series finale, you're wrapping up a show, right? So You want to know what's going on. Yeah, the exact like, it was, I, I wasn't sure, like, why, why does Kevin pretending he doesn't know her? Like, that was my thought for, like, 30 minutes of the episode. Like, I was trying to think, like, and it just, I didn't like the feeling of being confused. But my two favorite scenes in the series finale are probably the ending, which I love to death. We'll talk more about the ending when Andreas talks about it, I'm sure. But yes. um, the, the beginning 
there's a scene with Matt and Nora. That's one of my favorite scenes in the whole show. When Nora, he he reads her Mad Libs or something. Yeah, then, it's yep. it's her eulogy. They yeah. do it through Mad Libs, so and then, it's like and a then, lot funnier. Exactly. And then Matt has this really deep like monologue where he talks about how like like how can I get people to trust me when I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about or something? And he like starts breaking down a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like the most honest we've seen him because he's and always he says so... something like I, I I wish I was a good gecko or something. And it's like yeah. oh my god, my heart. <laughs> yeah, that scene is just a gut punch. I think I teared up probably on my first watch of that first scene, and also the ending. Those are my two favorite parts. Of the- I, I also part. love. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, I thought you were. Yeah, I thought you, I, I'm sure you were done with your thought, yeah, right? Yeah, just those um, two scenes I wanted to mention. Yeah. Yeah, I also love the scene where Kevin drops the act and he confronts Nora about like why he's been coming to Australia every single year for the past however however many years. Yeah, and then he like, and then he mentioned he's like, and then Matt died, dude. That line just fucking. That's a fucking. I don't even know. That's a dagger. The show got like no Emmys, which is horseshit. Yeah, it's a dagger. We haven't (laughs) even mentioned the Emmy snubs. Oh my god. We will. Yeah, we will. Sure. Um, Yeah. So is that? That was your number three, right, Luke? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the series so we, finale is my number three. We can three. move on. Yeah. So my number three, I have the most powerful man in the world and his identical twin brother. So that's okay. that's the second last one. Uh, I just fucking love this episode. It's just nuts. It's just craziness, and it's amazing. Um, I like the whole they change it up where it's like we're going back to this world, but there's like two Kevin's that he keeps switching between. Like he's mm-hmm. the assassin, and then he's also the president. I yeah. just love this. It was there's and so there's many- a meaning for that. It's like it's like his. I wish I knew what I was talking about because I've seen someone explain it, like why there's two Kevins. Like, um, I was gonna, play. I was gonna start talking about Mr. Robot and compare it to that, but not everyone has seen Mr. Robot, so I'm not yeah. even gonna no bother comparing it. Helps, it. I will be talking about this episode very soon. Okay, okay. so you yeah. probably have it too. That's good to know that. Me okay, having cool. it at num- me having it at number three isn't strange, but yeah, I, I, it's just nuts. And um, uh, yeah, I, I don't really. I'll let Andreas talk. Andreas talk more about it because it's just yeah. so awesome. I love that episode. Okay. Um, so- Top twos. We're on to our top twos. So what do you have yeah. at number two? Okay, so number two, I've done another uh, combination-based thing. Yeah. Uh, International Assassin and the Most Powerful Man in the World and there his identical go. twin brother. Which, uh, this one, I couldn't separate because we're talking about identical twin brother, the most powerful man in the world. The most powerful man in the world is the president. So who is his twin brother? International Assassin. So yeah. these are clearly sister episodes. They are, yeah. He's gone yeah. back twice. Well, he's gone back more than twice. He, he goes back at the end of season two as well. But mm-hmm. That one was a quick thing. He got out by appeasing God. These other two times, he's going to either get rid of somebody who's haunting him or speak on behalf of the living to the dead so he can like yeah. give these messages to Evie to, I don't remember her name, right. but her children about the shoes. So yeah. um, what I think happens is uh, when it comes to this, uh, this is where it gets very strange. I don't want to spoil anything Twin Peaks related, but what I love about Damon Lindelof's particular obsession with Twin Peaks, because a lot of people try to do Twin Peaks, but they do it their own different ways. Damon Lindelof is able to mimic David Lynch's ability to make you not really certain what you're looking at. Is this a dream? Is this the afterlife? Is this his brain in a conscious state? You're not really sure. Is this a parallel dimension? You never really find out. Yeah. And I think that's very special here because it's like, is he actually dying and coming back to life? Is he invincible? What what really is this? But you don't really get that answer. But at the same time, that doesn't matter because that's your own interpretation. I feel mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. And when I get into, I don't want to spoil, but when I get into the finale, um, I feel like there are many things answered. But a lot of the stuff that's not answered is not 
an open thread. It's meant for interpretation. And I feel like this is one of those yeah. things where you're not sure if he's, in my opinion, he's dead. The guy's dead as shit. And yeah. he's basically in like this, not like a spiritual purgatory or anything, but he's just dead. I don't know if it's in his brain. He's like definitely no ordinary man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's his, like his synapses firing and he's seeing shit or if he's like actually like in another place, but he's dead. So you could either view this as Patty took up a part of himself that he hated and then he himself took on that part. Hence why he's president that she was senator Mm-hmm. And you know, in the previous episode, but now he's president in you know the latter episode, mm-hmm. or he, it's literal manifestations where each time he dies, there's like all these different properties. The first one, don't drink the water, otherwise you're gonna stay dead because you become comfortable amongst the land of the dead. Mm-hmm. Somebody some other people drink the water, they stay. He doesn't, he's able to come back out, which mm-hmm. water is also the way that he gets into the world. It's like through the yeah. through the beach or the through tub. the, the tub yeah. of water. Yeah. It's like yeah. he's being baptized into this world. Yeah. So when it comes to the second thing, the property is don't look in the reflections. I feel like that gestated a new version of himself. So instead of trying to find the president, so like I feel like, not that this is true, this is my interpretation, if he did that same thing in the first uh, in the first episode, which I think he does, he like looks in mirrors and reflections in the first uh, yeah. International Assassin, so maybe not. Either way, in this one, he filled up that void of who he was looking for by placing himself. So now he's basically got to kill himself. And what is he doing? He's killing the part of himself that he hates, the part right. that pushed Nora away. Yep. And that finale of that episode when he's like literally ripping his heart out yeah, technically. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Yeah. He admits to himself, we fucked up with Nora. I think yeah. that's like the exact line. Like we fucked yep. up with Nora. Yeah. And that's his realization of, Oh my God, I need, I need her in my life. And that's the show's realization of wait a second. So this was about them two the entire time, which is mm-hmm. ultimately answered with the finale. So that's yeah. why I love those two episodes. Also all of the, the imagination and the amount of walls that they break and just this weird, like to me, this is the greatest Twin Peaks influence thing. That's not Twin Peaks. You know, like it perfectly captures this. I don't know what this is, but I don't care. I don't care if this is a limbo. I don't care if this is a dream. This is just something, but it's beautiful the way that it is. And it's, it's just incredible. And that's kind of what the leftovers is all about, right? It's all about not answering the questions, right? Like if this was, if this was a typical (laughs) show, it would all be about answering what happens to the people who disappeared. But the whole point of the show is they don't answer it. Right. It's all about Mm -hmm. the people and how they deal with it. And just like these two episodes, they don't tell you what it, this world's that these worlds that Kevin goes to are like, whether they're the afterlife or whatever. And I also want to mention that. Yeah, it's something. I also wanted to mention that, uh, so you, you, the way you do your top five is smart. You like have like twin episodes. Uh, right. we're, we're used to just having top fives, but my number two is international assassin. My number three is the most powerful man in the world. So it's there pretty much go. the same. I had them in the same <laughs> spots as you, right? It's my two okay. and three. Just like since, it, since you have it at two and Andreas has it tied, had those, has those two tied at his number two. I'll just say real briefly that my number two is the most p- powerful man in the world. My number so one have, is international yeah. assassin. So, just so exactly. we can all carry on. We can just all carry on and talk about. Yeah. Your number all one right. is international assassin. Yeah. So we can yeah. just keep talking about these. Yeah. I also, one thing I want to add that I love is the classical music they always use in international assassin. What's that song? I forget. I wish I knew the name of it. Oh, I don't know the name. It's like, yeah, you know the you know the one I'm talking about. Though. But like, it doesn't up. occur when they're alive. It's like only in yeah. those two episodes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, and it's just like, every time um, it kicks in, it just cracks me up when it kicks in. And there's one time it kicks in, and Kevin goes like "fuck," and he's like nosy back, and it's so funny. I love it. Like, he's like "motherfucker," the, I'm not yeah. doing this shit again. Yeah, all of the little things where like this is what leads me to believe that he's actually dead. Where it's like you know yeah. the little bluebirds that oh the Murphy mom, I don't remember her name, uh, Regina King. Uh, Erica. Erica. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't recall. Does he know about those? Because if not, there are bluebirds flying around. So oh shit. He doesn't. So that's, but then again, maybe he saw some shit like that growing up. So we can't just say that it's because of her, you know, but that's another what if curveball that Lindloff throws towards us. But it's all these little things about these worlds that I love, like the music included. Yeah, yeah. So many little details. All the the probably one of my favorite moments in the International Assassin is the well when he pushes the girl, the young Patty, into the well. Oh my God, that's such a beautiful moment. And then like when he's in the well with, grown-up patty and she talks about being on jeopardy like oh that's man. so heartbreaking yeah it's just so it it's the so only hard. part of the show that humanizes her because previously yeah. she's a part of the cult yeah. and she you know even though she's the maternal figure she's still you know part of this big manipulation that takes yeah. away a lot of good souls yep. from us and then she's antagonizing um kevin either as a hallucination or as a ghost that's plaguing him but yep. this is the first time where it's like he was a human being as well. Oh, yeah. and then, like, most, it just, it was necessary. Yeah, it was the most sympathetic moment for Patty. Yeah, and it's just so well written and so well acted. And Dowd is so good too, fuck, in this show. He's great in this show. Oh, I yeah. just remembered a few other details that confirms that this might actually be a real place. So, obviously, Kevin's there because he's dead. And he's yeah. like, he's basically fighting his way out of pur- purgatory, essentially. You see other people that are going through the same thing there, like in the background, but it's like really subtle. So, when Kevin's on the elevator, there's a dude dressed as a priest right next to him. And you can assume that that guy was like the way that Kevin's dressed as an international assassin. This dude is dressed as a priest and he's trying to get his way out of there. Oh, and then of the wardrobe, right? Yeah. The wardrobe. Yeah. yeah. And I can't remember what the other one was, but there was someone in the background dressed as something and they're yes. like, they're clearly scared and they're nervous. Like what the fuck is going on? But yeah. like, it's kind of just thrown off to the side. So it's like this world where like all these people are who who are pretty much dead. They're like on trial trying to they're trying to figure out a way out of it. Like they have to do some mission that means something to them in this hotel world to get them out of it. Other people with like the similar ability that Kevin has. I don't know specifically what he has that makes him so special, but there's other people like him out there, obviously. It it appears. So I think it's just an awareness because the guy who plays God is aware that he's dying and coming back to life and dying, and that's why he gives Kevin you know, the wisdom, which that's another thing that leads me to believe that this isn't a hallucination. Why would he see that guy? Yeah, in this mission, Which we've right. never seen before. So, um, you mm-hmm. know, I feel like that this guy is just, you know, used to the fact that he can die, come back, die, come back, and he can yeah. exploit this for his own reasons, not to help, yeah. but to say that he's a benevolent God. So, mm-hmm. um, to me... I feel like he's aware of it. And by talking to God, Kevin's aware of it. And uh, otherwise you drink the water, you become comfortable. And then you become the people who just never leave because yep. they have become comfortable with being dead. So therefore they're dead. So they're dead. yeah. And that, that reminds me of another really, really great moment in the season three episode, the powerful man in the world one, where he realizes he has to get rid of this place. Like he can't keep coming back to it. And that yeah. shot of him walking out with Patty and they're holding hands. And then it goes to white and like the, 
the missiles come. Oh, it's yeah. such a good shot. I love See, that. See, that's level. what makes me think it is. That's an that's an argument for it being a psychological place, like exactly. a place made up in his head. So, like, yeah. there's so many arguments for both being true. Because obviously, if it was, um, if it wasn't something in his head, he wouldn't yeah. be able to just destroy just, it like he that. He doesn't have the power it. to do that. But yeah. yeah, since it's in his head, he has the ability yeah. to just. Yeah, they really do. That place. They, they toe the line perfectly just to let people make their own interpretation. There's no right or wrong answer. It's yep, so well done. Exactly. Yeah, it's so it's, well done. It's so difficult to like be certain that that's what this is. So. Exactly. Right. Yeah, um, I think we can say our number one. So, Andreas, what's your number one? Okay, uh, get ready for some verbal diarrhea. <laughs> my, my number one, with honorable mentions being the other finales, my number okay. one is the Book of Nora, the actual okay. series finale. So your so, favorite finale is the series finale. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And uh, the honorable mentions, as I excluded to say before, now, because if I said the other series finales, it'd be like, or the other season finales, you'd be like, yeah. oh. Well, yeah, I get it. That's why. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll mention that my number one is the season two finale. I live here now, so I also have oh. a finale at number one. Yeah, there, there we go. So, yeah. <laughs> um, should we go with yours first, then, so that we could see, like, uh, you know, in succession of when they came out? Sure, sure. Um, unless, wait, what's your number one, Luke? You said International Assassin, right? Yeah, mine was okay. International yeah. Assassin. So we, yeah, we can go into the finales. Sure. So for season two finale, I live here now. Um, th- this episode like was the most felt like a movie to me I guess like it was the most cinematic for me it's just mm-hmm. one of the biggest episodes you have so many things happening the way they wrap up season two it starts with like Mary waking up like a huge moment that's been all those Matt episodes where you feel so bad for him she just wakes up with Nora and it's just such a like heartwarming moment when she comes to see Matt then one of my one of my favorite scenes in the whole show that just there's something about the vibe I get during this scene there's almost no dialogue it's just the music we haven't mentioned the music enough like Max Richter's score like oh it's beautiful it's insanely good so one of my favorite pieces of his is called Dona Nobis Passum or something like that but it it plays when Erica runs on the bridge I don't know if you remember it's just silent yeah Erica tries to get by all the people on the bridge to get to her daughter fantastic scene the shot of her running and like it's panning up and it's like from below and then the music's playing and then it's just silent as she like shakes her. I don't yeah. know why. There's something about that scene that hits me really hard. I and then that like, love that scene. Then that like um, the bass kicks in, that noise whenever yeah. there's like a tremor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just one of those, the music just, the music carries that scene, but also uh, Regina King's performance. She's insanely good in that scene. The way she's like mm-hmm. shaking her daughter and then she puts like the, um, why are you doing this? And then she brings up the little writing that they always do. And it's like, you understand. And it's like, it just gives me chills, that whole scene. And then also- I fucking Kevin, hate the GR, by the way. I just despise them. Oh, who likes them? Who comes yeah. out of the like being like, yeah. I, I identify with them. Yeah, I would, I, would, I would love to be one of those people. Like, yeah, no thanks. Um, I'm not fucked up at all. Yeah. And then also I have to mention Kevin singing Homeward Bound. Because like the oh. fact that- we, we love the International Assassin Powerful Man in the World episodes because they're entirely in that world. But I love how, this, this is what I mean by this episode has everything. It has like everything in one. It has all the big payoffs. It feels like a movie almost. And then it also has a little bit of the International Assassin stuff. And one of my favorite parts of that is him singing Homeward Bound. It's just so beautiful, that moment, his acting, how everything he's singing is like, it applies to him perfectly. It's just mm-hmm. so well done. I love that. Did you moment. mention, uh, sorry, did you mention the flashbacks that play during that? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I did not. I could. I couldn't. I didn't realize if you said that or not, so I didn't want to repeat yeah, what you just said. They do. Said that. They do use flashbacks while he's singing, and they're really yeah. well executed. Yeah. And then also, there's a really profound moment where John Murphy, the guy, uh, I forget the actor's name, but the husband of Regina King, he mm-hmm. he finds Kevin shot, and they just have a really profound moment too, when he's just like 
he's just like, what is happening? Like he just, and Kevin's just like, I don't know. This guy's dying. He shot his, <laughs> he shot this guy. And he's just so lost. And like, but that's like the first time he has to stare one of the bad things he's done. Like directly straight in the face, face. straight exactly. in the eyes. So then, so then that's when he switches over and becomes a man of good. Because I think a lot of his people redemption. complain where it's yeah. like, his character doesn't make any sense. How could he be such an asshole? But now he's a good guy. He's married yeah. to Laurie and stuff. And it's like, that's yeah. why. Because yeah, he literally stared at a guy he killed yeah. for yeah. no reason, yep. knowing that he did nothing to his daughter, straight in the face yep. and said, oh, shit, I've got to live with this. Yep. And that's when he realized, I've got to change. Yeah, right. that, big, that big shift in his character from season two to season three, it's all about that scene. You're right. And yeah, it's just so well done. And then, I, yeah, I think I listed enough scenes from the season two finale to back up why I love it. It's just it's just 10 out of 10 scene after 10 out of 10 scene. It's my favorite episode. Yeah. And I don't know if this was like an intentional parallel that Kevin is God because God is supposed to be like someone that like forgives everyone for everything. Yeah. And Kevin basically forgave John. He's like, John's like, what if I go home and no one's there? And Kevin's like, well, then you can come over to my house. And so just forgiving a guy after he just shoots yeah. you in cold blood for no reason, that, that's yeah. like the ultimate level of forgiveness. Yeah. 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 I also have to mention the ending. We, we, we did briefly mention it, but the ending of yeah. this episode, man, you're home. Oh, yeah. that's, that slow pan, I think you already mentioned it, but that slow pan of every single character that Kevin cares about is in that house. It's just so yeah. deep. I love and it. The best part uh, is you forget like everyone who's going to show up. Because like I remember when uh, Kevin's son shows up, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. I forgot. Like, yeah. He hasn't mm-hmm. seen him in years. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. It's just every single thing. But, yeah. um, you know, Luke, when he brought up the whole God thing, that's interesting because, uh, you know, the in Christianity, there's a lot of um, things that come in threes, like comedy and drama mm-hmm. and other stuff. There's a lot of yeah. things that come in threes in religion. So the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, uh, you know, risen on the third day, uh, technically he dies three times and comes back three times. So the first yeah. time uh, was with the poison. The second time was when he got shot and he sings Homeward Bound in this episode. Yeah. Third was um, the most powerful man in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Twin brother. So uh, he technically dies three times com- coming back. It, it follows that lore really well. And I'm sure somewhere, because I brought up the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, I'm sure there's something there that pertains to that. But if there is... The, do- the death in this episode where he just wants to come back to me, that's him being the father. He wants to, to come back to his family and be the parental figure and the husband that he, he deserves to be, mm-hmm. whether it's to Nora or to Lori, whoever it might be. He just like, he feels like he has to have that opportunity. And as we find out in the premiere of season three, he's done just that. Yep. He has stayed here for however long, uh, you know, living this life as he is supposed to, as a, as a father figure, as a protector. So. Yep, that works. Yep, definitely. So, yeah, we can get into... Andreas, you can get into the series finale. Go for it. I'm oh, interested God. to hear your interpretation yeah, of the finale. Yeah, I'm interested to hear why it's your favorite. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so I don't want to do too much verbal diarrhea because, like, you know, <laughs> if I did that with your season finale, then, like, I don't even know. <laughs> There's so, always editing, so no worries. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I'll leave it all in. I'll leave it all in. The first thing, and I don't want to spoil it for you, Gabe, because I know you're working on this show yeah the first show that i watched in full like this as i've said either before the pod or during the pod i don't remember at this point was six feet under when i was like a late teenager and part of that was because i've heard that the the series finale was one of the greats Mm -hmm. and when i saw it undeniably i was like wow this is one of the greatest things i've ever seen and i don't want to spoil it but um i'm not a very emotional person or i'm not a very emotional person but 
visual media, so movies and TV shows, they can make me cry. And I was crying for like 30 fucking minutes. Like I was a yeah. mess. That's probably, so, that was, that was me at the end of Lost. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. like I couldn't stop. I was like, why can't I stop? It's over. It's done. <laughs> yeah. So for over a decade, that was the best finale I had ever seen. Yeah. Until the book of Nora. And yeah. that, like, it takes a hell of a lot for that to be a service. So, like, yeah. no other show, like, not the Wire finale, not the Mad Men finale. This is the one that did it. So, um, first off, you start off with, you know, the exchange between Matt and Nora, where yeah. they're doing the eulogy. And just, again, like, uh, I don't remember the exact line, but it's something like, was I a good gecko? And that, because, you know, in the, in the Mad Libs, uh, he's replaced with the noun gecko, you know, with his gecko, yeah. no, uh, Nora's gecko, Matt. So was I a good gecko? Or I hope I was the best gecko. I don't remember what it was. That hurt me, uh, like, enough. So that's, like, the most natural the episode is until Nora gets into the vessel. She's ready to yeah. go into this new place of, of the departed, uh, presumably. It looks like she's about to say something, and it cuts. Cuts mm -hmm. back to that scene you see in the first episode of, of the season, and it's that, that flashback. So from here on out, the only thing I can compare this to, and, and uh, if you guys haven't seen this, I'll try and explain. There's a short film called Le Jeté by Chris Marker, which is only comprised of like still images, but it, it's without spoiling too much, because I think everyone on Earth should, should see Le Jeté. <laughs> it is a short film that depicts the the use of time travel but like a futuristic inventive depiction of love and loss so uh, like specifically between two people so in this episode that's all i could think of where it's like this is like a reinvention through sci-fi elements of what love can represent and you get that immediately from from the time jump so the time jump I love that it's jarring, and I'll explain why. We've talked about the ambiguity of the show this entire time. So when that time jump happens, the sky is, like, so blue. It is so bright. And you see Nora, who's called Sarah, by the way. Let's not forget yep. that. Yep. So what happens whenever Kevin goes to the other side? People are called different things. His name's not Kevin. It's something else, I think, right? Yeah. So. Yep. In this case, it's like, from there on out for the entire episode, I questioned, are they both dead? Right. Are they yeah. in Australia? Is I this all in his mind? Like, what exactly are we looking at? Yeah. And so much of this is supported by everything else. A lot of people think Lori commits suicide at the end of Certified. Yep. She's here. Um, but then where's Matt? You know, Kevin... Is he mm -hmm. dead? Because, you know, he's talked about, like, his heart problems or whatever. He's here. So it's this more lush world where the entire time you're not sure what you're looking at. And we get the confrontations at the end, but for that midsection, none of it mattered. You're just looking at two people, whether they're strangers, they know who they are, they're both dead, they're both alive, they're falling in love with, they're falling in love again until she decides she can't do this and she leaves them at the wedding and you get this confrontation where Kevin admits, this is why I lied and everything. Almost as if he was trying to finalize a final death, but he couldn't go back to the place of the dead because he destroyed it, whether it's his mind or literal. So he basically said he wanted to start a new life, uh, you know, implying that his brain had gone. This is how they could fall in love with it again, because the last time they ever talked, I think, quote, unquote, was at that 
fucking hotel over that fucking book. So, mm-hmm. yeah. um, <laughs> uh, so it's as if he tried to rewrite his story. If other people could write his story, if Matt could write his story, why can't he rewrite his own? Mm-hmm. So that didn't work out. And he decided, you know what? I'd be coming here every holiday for too long. This, this is where it stops. I need to be honest. So he comes back to try and right his wrong of trying to start fresh because he also didn't want to face his demons mm-hmm. and also scare her away again. Mm-hmm. And you remember so much throughout the show where it's like he discussed seeing Patty Levins. She left because she mm-hmm. couldn't believe what was happening. She was fearful. Uh, you know, the book happened. She left. So then we are faced with the final scene where Nora, and this is what's like the scene of the entire show, yeah, describes I love the, the other love the side. Scene. So she, she discusses how she goes over there and it's not the 2% that are gone. It's the 98%. Mm-hmm. So then you start to think, um, all of the Garby family is dead. Miracle's not a miracle. It's the complete opposite. They're all dead. Mm-hmm. All of this is like something else, but you don't get shown it. You get told it. And this is where it feels like legete to me, where it's like you conjure up everything in your mind. So then she discusses some stuff. Uh, you know, she saw her family. They moved on without her because instead of, her losing her entire family, they just lost her, which is still sad, but it's not mm-hmm. quite the same. They mm-hmm. can move on. She couldn't. Mm-hmm. So you're left with all of this and the, the, the one slight implausibility of, well, she met the guy who invented the machine and he made another one, so she came back. So that's what you're left with. So then it's like, you're not shown this. Is this actually real? Mm-hmm. And that's the final ambiguity that the show leaves you with, where it's like, Kevin doesn't care if it's real or not because she didn't believe him or if she did believe him, it freaked her out too much. That doesn't matter anymore. They're together again in this world where people could clearly depart, people die, people lose each other all the time, whether it's, you know, you know again, death or heartbreak, whatever it is, they separate themselves. They could join a cult and never separate themselves from their family like Evie. They lose each other all the time, but they're both here right now. So it doesn't matter if this happened or not. No, I personally, even though this might change, I personally believe she actually did go over there. But I think the show didn't want to show us because in our mind, we could still picture what that might have looked like. But that doesn't mean that she did. I love that ambiguity because at the end of the day, all of this boiled up to the, to the fact that they're both together and they're finally together. They're not going to be separated. They might be separated, but they end on this note for us. They're together, and that's it. It's it all boiled down to this love story between these two people and this impossible thing called life, where you can die, come back, um, you could depart, never be seen again. You could mm-hmm. join these cults, lose everything. It doesn't matter. The the impossible happened. Yeah, and it happened with the most powerful man in the world, and the most brave little girl. Yeah, the bravest girl in the world, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I personally love the last scene as well. And I, I actually like the interpretation. See, there you go. We have two different, we both love the last scene, but I actually like the interpretation more. Like the one I take away is that she's lying. I yeah, actually I, like, I, I agree that she's lying. Yeah, personally. I, I, I personally, but that's what's so good. It's the same thing with the international assassin stuff. It's There's no right answer. It's all about what you get out of it. And I, I personally yeah. like the idea that she's lying because I, I just think of that as like, that's Nora's way to cope. It's, yeah. her, it's her way to cope and it's her way to move on. Is like, you know what? We don't know where the departed went. But in my mind, like she didn't actually visit where they went, but in her mind, she thinks there's a possibility that they're out there without 98% of the, or sorry, yeah, they're missing 98% of the Because if they still exist, that's, that's how it is. Yeah, yeah, so she's thinking to herself, 
if I were to visit that place where they're missing 98% of the world, that place is worse than where I am, right? That's, yeah. a, that's a way more broken world where 98% of the world's gone. Even though for her circumstances, she lost her family, she realizes that they would have moved on anyways, right? She says something about how she saw her family with like, and they didn't even recognize her or something. And like, I don't she think she, I don't think they saw her. I think she saw them with like yeah. a, a new mom or something. If she Sorry. didn't bother. I meant to say yeah, she, she watched from she, afar. Yeah. She yeah. saw that they had moved on is what I'm right. trying to say. So right. like, oh, yeah, the, exactly. fact that, the fact that she's able to think in her mind, if they were, if this world existed with 98%, if that's where they went, they would have moved on by now. She has to move on that, right. that whatever happened to them is probably worse than what happened to us. Like the 98% where we only lost 2% and it's her way to find it. Cause she's, she is grief stricken the entire show. Obviously she lost her family. And like, it's finally, she's able to use this story in her head of like this world that could be out there. It could, right. This is a world where 2% disappeared. Why couldn't there be a world where the 98% is gone and like something actually happened to this 2%, right. So she's able to cope with it and tell Kevin the story of what happened in order for her to move on. And mm-hmm. I, I love the touch. I agree with you where Kevin, it doesn't matter for Kevin either, like whether she's telling the truth or not. But I, I do like the idea that, for Nora's character, it makes slightly, slightly more sense to me that she would make it up in order to cope with it. I mean, that, that could easily be the case. And I honestly yeah. sometimes feel like she's lying. Sometimes I don't. Like right now, I feel like she's telling the truth. But yeah, um, yeah. she could easily be lying because look at what she does. She doesn't touch the paper towel roll for years, but now she can't. She can replace it. She unburdens the goat of all of the hypothetical sins that it's carrying right. and it. holds of herself. So it could be that solace that she's come up with. And yeah. she's, she's, she's able to, to bear, like she's able to carry. Yeah. Exactly. And if it wasn't for that scene early on in the episode, I would be more open to the interpretation that she was telling the truth, but it's the one seed. It's the one scene where it cuts off right before, um, she goes to the other place. Right. It, she it cuts off with her saying a word that starts with the word S. It just says, and then it cuts to another scene. I'm pretty sure she was saying stop. What else yeah. could she be saying? But they cut it out to leave it open to her interpretation because yeah. they have to have the ambiguity. Yeah, so, you can't have her literally go. They had to give you some sort of option of like, maybe she yeah. didn't go through. Maybe she didn't yeah. go through. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But it's not confirmed. She could be telling the truth. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's, that scene, it's that scene specifically that, that makes me lean more towards that she was lying that's yeah. that's the one scene that's that really um, but at the same time she could have it could have been too late at the same time right she she said stop too late that could be that could be another through. thing yeah so she could have still gone through exactly yeah. yeah but it's even if that's the case i think it's so meaningful if that is the case because um where it's like literally she's midway th- saying stop to her being approached about kevin we don't see the time where she starts a new life and it's a life without Kevin. So we yeah. only see her acknowledging that Kevin is real and, mm-hmm. or like that these loved ones in her life are real. So if that is the case and she lied and, and she stayed in Australia, it's a really clever way of showing it that um, literally all we get is what pertains to what we've already seen. We don't need to see her mm-hmm. starting a new life and everything. It's only yeah. her recollection of the life that she abandoned. So right, yeah. I yeah. think that's very important as well. Yeah, that's why the time job works so well. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, I'm like, it happens to me a lot where like, I'm pretty positive that if I rewatch this episode, it'll be like higher up in terms of all time series finales. Like you said, it's your number one, right? Like it would probably make my top three if I rewatched it, but it's just something about when I watched it for the first time, it just didn't quite click with me, the time jump. But I think it, it makes, they, they totally planned the time jump well and it, it was very well executed in general. Right. That finale is like, 
months later, it's still in my head. Like yeah. I think about it, the the final conversation all the time where it's like, it's one of those things where it's very rare for a movie or a show to like change how you live. And it's like, you know, it's these little moments where it's like, let's not take for granted that I can't see these people, especially during this pandemic. Like yeah. you never know what's going to happen again if they can be taken away. It doesn't matter what happened before, what's going to happen. You're like, you're here right now. And I think that's just so vital. And yeah. every time I think about it, I just get teary eyed again. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a deep, deep episode and ending. Yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, okay. Yes, we can go into characters. Um, or actually, no, wait, what, before we do that. So just, yeah. Like, yeah, we'll do a quick recap of our top five episodes. So for me, I had at number five, I had lens season two, episode six, number four, I had the prodigal son returns season one finale, number three, the most powerful man in the world and his identical twin brother, uh, number two, international assassin, number one, the season two finale. I live here now. Yep. So mine was <clears throat> number five, the prodigal son returns season one finale number four i mean yeah number four i live here now season two finale number three the series finale the book of nora number two the most powerful man in the world uh penultimate episode and number one international assassin season two episode eight for me i had the two mad episodes and number five two boats and a helicopter no room at the end of season one and season two uh number four i had a most powerful adversary number three good day melbourne Number two, the two uh, meta episodes, uh, International Assassin, the most powerful man in the world that is identical twin brother, but a mouthful. And number one, I had the Book of Nora. There you go. Sounds good. Okay, we can go on to characters. So I guess we can do the same thing where <laughs> we just go five, 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 four, 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 that kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. So, so yeah, um, I guess I'll start. Sure. So my number five uh, might be a little weird, but I have Erica, Regina King's character. At That's number a good five. character. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's she's my number five. No, but in terms of like, she's only really a main character in season two so like she's a little more minor that's that's what i meant by but there's like, only three seasons so yeah, like that's still right. like a very major part you're right you're right so yeah she's my number five um uh, part of it is regina king's performance i love regina king but yes. just when i think back on the show and my favorite scenes which we're going to do favorite scenes and like how big of an impact she had in a few of the scenes she was in like that's i put her at number five i love her mm-hmm. uh i love the the dilemmas she has in season two also the what is she has like ear isn't she what's the she's deaf yeah she's is deaf. She partly deaf yeah something like that she's, she's pretty legally damn deaf. deaf yeah yeah oh, she was completely deaf i don't remember or legally, so it's like it's, it's deaf enough i think yeah okay i'm yeah, sure if you, you screamed in her ear she'd be able to hear yeah. you but like I, she can't hear shit yeah i love those scenes though where they, they give you her perspective sometimes right where it's like right. what, she, what she's hearing during that, that chase kind of scene actually yeah. when she was chasing that yeah. one kid yeah that put like something on their doorstep i don't remember right. exactly what he put right. on their doorstep yeah mm-hmm. there's just little things with her character that i love i like all the choices they made with her character and like i said the introduction of her family she was my favorite character in that family and yep. the stuff in miracle she's my number five nice so number five i have john um could have oh, been yeah. erica too just as easily uh yeah. mainly john though because i love a good like redemption arc and yeah. john's redemption arc was really well done um his impact on season two, just the introduction of his character and the Murphy family in general, like you mentioned, it just, yeah. just expanded the show so much, but um, John and the Murphy family were a big part of making season two as good as it was just the introduction yeah. of. That's uh, interesting. We have similar reasons, but we picked different characters. <laughs> like I picked right. Erica, you picked John, but like, it's similar about like, it's something about that family and miracle and the vibe, but like, I just slightly preferred her. Yeah. I think season two specifically, Erica is clearly more likable. That's not even a question. Yeah. Well, by season um, three, John becomes pretty likable. That's what so. I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. John, John's character is a lot stronger in season three than Erica's character is. He yeah. gets more focused. So that's yeah. why when I'm looking at the series as a whole, I'll give John the edge yeah. for number five. Yeah. And the one scene that uh, Erica was in in season three is when they jump on the trampoline do you remember that her and yeah. Nora she was great that was that the yeah. last episode she was in 
Yeah, I think she was. She was only in one episode in season three. I think. Yeah, the, yeah, the one with the Wu Tang band, quote yeah. unquote. Yeah, they oh, play Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> yeah, they play Wu Tang while they're jumping on the trampoline. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah, Wu Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Uh, <laughs> so my number five, uh, we're basically having a Murphy family reunion. I actually picked. <laughs> I picked Evie. So, we all picked different members. That's great. I love well, it. Well, mine's a completely different reason than than yeah. what you both picked. Um, so. The first season, you see oh, Liv Tyler's character. I don't remember her name. Meg, I think, isn't it? Meg, Meg. yeah. Yep. You see her being incorporated into the GR. And this yep. slow process of her stopping her dialogue. Uh, you know, and in season two, she becomes very tainted. And she's, like, not even just a member. She's, like, the most ruthless leader of, of the GR now. Like, she's, like, very toxic. Yeah. But you see Evie, and you get the perspective of, because, uh, you know, between Laurie and Meg, you don't see that in season one. You see other perspectives. It already happened, somebody being initiated. With Evie, you get the sense of what it feels like to have a loved one, where it's like, oh my god, where are they? They're a member of this this cult, oh my god. And uh, so much of that is built up by the mystery, the, you know, with her disappearance. So it's like, uh-oh, where did she go? Um, what's happening? Does she depart? Is she dead? Is she just hiding? Mm. And she has that one seizure attack, which might seem futile in in hindsight, but I feel like that gives you this vulnerability where it's like she could be anywhere, she could be sick without her pills, but then you see that she's okay. So she planned her escape and clearly had her medication and was like, you know, incorporated into the GR by her by her own um, will. So this was something that was very planned. But you, you worry about her. She's so smart. She could be like a really cool character and she just vanishes. And when she comes back, it's like, not like this. Like you just, like your heart rips when you see that she's like in the back of that, of that trailer. And she's a member of the GR clearly with like her little notepad and stuff. And you're like, oh no. It's almost like, not that you wish she was dead or she was departed, but you wish it was anything but this. Right. Where it's like, why her? She's like, what, like, you love her immediately, and then she's like this. And then season three, it's all about when Kevin's following her. Is she actually alive? If so, I, I need some closure with her. And then you see her in the afterlife, and you get that closure. So I feel like she embodies so many of the the spiritual themes of the show. Right. Yeah, that's a good argument for her. Yeah. And it's funny because the first time I watched this show, or season two in particular, I thought she was her character was being controlled by like a, high, a higher power or some shit. Because the first time you see her, she's seen running naked through the forest with like this expressionless look on her face. Yeah. So like, this does not look like someone that even has thoughts. This looks like someone that's being controlled by like a higher power. And like, I was really buying into the supernatural aspect mm-hmm. of the show early on. So yeah. I just that's that was my first thought of her character. Yeah. Yeah. She has a very interesting role to play. Yeah. I yeah. agree um so we can go to number fours my number four i have lori um lori garvey so i did not like her in season one i'll season say right now i have lori number four you too, have lori so at number four as well actually so do i <laughs> okay so let's just <laughs> there we go we all have lori at four so did anyone like her in season one i hated her in season one i liked her yeah yeah i liked um i mean as a character she's a good character but i mean likability in season one uh i just eh, i tried she definitely sympathize. got on my nerves yeah, yeah that's, she got on that's, my nerves, but I, I tried to sympathize because yeah. you don't know why she's a part of the GR because yes. you're like, maybe a kid's dead, but then it's like, no, wait, yeah. both of the kids are here. Maybe yeah. it's a husband. No, wait, Kevin's here. When you find out it's a new child that she's about to have and yeah. she's looking at it for the first time and it just vanishes. Mm-hmm. It's a flashback is, episode, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is such yeah. 
such devastation. Yeah. And, you know, even before you find out all of that, I tried to sympathize because yeah. it's like, um, you know, it sucks because you're seeing this from Kevin's perspective that she's, uh, you know, neglecting her family like this. He's mm -hmm. doing everything to try and make it work, but she wants a divorce. There's a lot of reasons to dislike her, but I, you know, I tried because I'm yeah. like, there's clearly a reason why yeah. I'm focusing on her. It's not just because she's Kevin's wife. And luckily I was right because she has such a redemption. Even though yeah. in season two, she's a bit of a con artist. Season three, yeah. slightly so, but I think for a more earnest reason. And she fully comes to grips and, and realizes she doesn't have to help other people. She has to just help her family. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like there's so much nuance to her. Yeah, yeah. So I'd Gabe, say, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you like her better in seasons two and three because yeah, you asked absolutely. if we liked her in season one. That's, I was yeah. just saying- uh, I think that's a really good point about the, I shouldn't have said all of season one. I hated her because of the flashback episode. You're right. The True, flashback right. episode, she's very likable. That's what, one reason I had the flashback episode as an honorable mention is just how different the characters were before the departure, like almost just recontextualize yeah, the entire they're show. They're completely different people. And like, of course, Laurie was likable in that episode. And then obviously what happens with the pregnancy and all that. Yeah. So it's, you feel a lot more for her. Um, I think it's just the way I associated her with the GR because I just hated the GR yeah. at the beginning. And you're just like, why oh, is she doing this? GR. Why is she doing this? <laughs> fuck this. Yeah. If, if it helps. Poor Kevin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if it helps. Because uh, Laurie, I tried to like, Meg starts off kind of likable. Yeah. But like I grow out of like out of the show, I, I grew to hate her the most out of everybody. Yeah, that yeah. goes south real quick. <laughs> she she kind of has a reverse Laurie arc. Yeah, she exactly. starts, out, starts out okay and then fuck this person. Yeah, and she becomes no, completely radicalized. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she, can't stand her. Yeah. <laughs> so um, nobody nobody picked her, right? <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Thank Meg God. in my top five. Yeah, Meg's my number one. Yeah. No. Um, and then I do want to mention one Laurie scene before we move on. There's that yeah. really good scene in Certified. We mentioned Certified season three episode six. There's a really good. It's like her final scene with Kevin. I don't know if you remember that scene. I can't yep. remember the specific lines, but it's just a really, really deep scene. She tells Australia. Kevin about she tells Kevin about the baby. Right, right. Yeah. And like it's just it shows the deep connection they had because she still cares so much about him. And it's just a really deep moment. It almost off, sounds like her farewell before she's she's off to kill herself until yeah. she gets the phone call from her kids. Yeah. And, and I, I thought she did kill herself. Did you guys? Like at the end of the episode? I I actually didn't. You did at the end of the episode I did, but by the time the series yeah. finale came, I'm like yeah. So when I was watching the series finale, I'm like, I don't think this is purgatory. Yeah. I think this is real. I don't think yeah. she killed herself. Yeah. For me, at the end of episode six, I was like, wow, that that was a great farewell to Laurie. I was like so broken. It was such a heavy ending. And then when I see her in the finale, I was like, okay, I was wrong. Like I, I had a feeling it was real the whole time in the series finale. So I was just like, yeah, I was wrong. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you never questioned if she was, if they were all alive or not, because if you thought I maybe did. they're dead, yeah, Laurie could be dead too. Yeah. So. The thing is, in yeah. the series finale, I yeah, I was I was on the side of this was real, even though I was yeah. confused and like maybe this could be another world. I was pretty sure. It was exactly. Real. That's yeah. Same. Yeah. 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 Fair um, and plus, in, in certified, so like, my initial thought, like right when she dove into the water, because they talked about earlier in the episode, that would be the way to go. That'd yeah, be the way to Nora. kill yourself. It's Nora, which I don't know why it. drowning would be the fucking an awful way to go. But anyways, that's besides the point. Um, well, because water is a very prevalent theme in the show. Again, like the right. idea of baptism, of uh, drowning, suffocation. Yeah, in that context, that'd be a good way to go. The way the, the way that they put it in the show. Yeah. Yeah. But no, she didn't seem like she was like in the emotional state to kill herself at the time. Maybe I'm misinterpreting it or like, uh, did you guys think like... For me, it was the phone call that did it. So she has a phone call with her kids. And like yeah. that phone call made me realize, like, I, I think it's just because I watched so many like classic, like stuff that isn't, isn't as smart as the leftovers and you assume whenever there's like a big farewell to your kids like that's it for you kind of thing right. so like i just felt like that was her final scene where it's like she's saying bye to her kids and she chokes up and 
yeah. mean, you could read it either way. You could read it as finally I have closure, I can die, or yeah, um, I have a reason. They to just live. saved my life. Yeah, yeah. and I like so. that they went with the yeah. That's part of what saved your life. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, when she says uh, same time next week to Nora about like, you know, quote unquote, being her therapist, not yeah. really. She's like just containing a secret. Yeah, um, it's obviously superficial. It's like, you know, I'll see you again. Not really. But then when she says it again in the finale, yeah. you, you get the sense that no, she's not her therapist, but they clearly yeah. talk. Right. Yeah. And they could fight in each other. So yeah. I'm glad I, I meant I mentioned certified as an honorable mention because I forgot about that scene with the beat. What she talks about the beach ball and the baseball stadium. That's the same scene. That's, oh that's, god, yeah, that's yeah. a phenomenal scene. Oh. And I seriously love Lori because like she's kind of like the show's voice of reason with all this weird shit going on. She's always like the voice of reason, kind of, and she keeps Kevin grounded. She yeah. keeps Nora grounded, which is ironic because she's with that beach ball analogy. She's literally voiceless in the first season, so it's very ironic. Yeah, that True. is ironic. Yeah, Good that's point. a great point. Yeah. Um, okay, we can move on. So, uh, number three, I have Matt. Um, same. Really... Okay, I have a feeling we're all going to have the same top four from here yeah. on out. This, so, this is, this is something <laughs> that comes up uh, very often in our deep dives, is we always do our top five characters. And me and Luke, I think every time I've had, like, the same top three, because it's just, like, <laughs> when you're doing your all-time favorite shows it's usually the main characters because if you have a show that you're this obsessed with and you didn't like the main character enough to have them in your top three, it's probably not going to be a favorite show of yours. So, right. But no. there's also like a very clearly distinctive top, like yeah. four main characters. Exactly. Of show. Like, the question the, is, are like, one and two going to be the same? Maybe. That's, that's, that's the, see, I had such, so much trouble with it that I did one A and one B instead of okay. one and <laughs> But that's just like a weird little tidbit. But yeah, so we all have Matt number three. Should we just yes. talk about Matt? I guess? So yeah, let's focus on Matt before we go into yeah. that. Because then the conversation can get really, yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's focus on Matt for this part. Even though we clearly had the same top two, regardless of the order. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just want to say, usually I don't like religious characters. So like Matt is probably my favorite like like religious figure character in a show. Like he's probably my number one, to be honest. Like, um, yeah, like I, yeah. I honest, like in most shows, head, it's yeah. always like the one who's so has Fuck all this Father faith Phil. and is try. Yeah, it's just there's something about Matt that's incredibly likable. Um, his faith, the, the amount, the stuff he goes through, like the no room at the end episode. Like, uh, how do you? I love this guy. As soon as the helicopter, the third episode, two boats in a helicopter. The way he like takes care of his wife. Like, how do you not love this guy? Great performance too. Like he's so likable. So no room at the scenes. end specifically. Yeah, no that's episode, like end. I love the the lengths yeah. this guy goes. The to amount of stuff he life. goes through in that episode specifically. Yeah, yeah. it's like that's oh, something what a journey. else. Yeah, yeah. And he's just yeah. The fact that he died at the in that during the time jump he dies is so yeah. sad too. Yeah, oh. it's just so sad. But like yeah. you know, you bring up that he's religious, and it's it's tough because we don't actually end the show knowing if he is or he isn't. He could still be religious, but not a man of organized religion in yep. the way he's lost faith a bit. the way the way his exactly. faith changes yeah you're right yeah. it doesn't stay the same the whole time that's probably why i like him so much because a lot of religious characters in other shows i'm thinking of like other typical shows where it's like they they stay the same but like mad is preachy or yeah this yeah. guy this guy was never this he's like he this has a realistic approach to it he's not delusional i don't feel like exactly it's it's yeah. it's all stemming from a faith that his wife is going to come back yeah and you know, the worst part is, you know, like when she does wake up again, but then ultimately leaves and it's like, you know, he's still mm -hmm. fighting and then he ends up with cancer and uh, his mm -hmm. sister's about to leave. Yeah. Um, 
and he's all alone. Like, what's he going to do? And he's, yeah. like, scared. All he has are the people, but he knows he's going to lie to the people because he doesn't even believe his sermons anymore. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's just yeah. such a, you know, you start the show being like, oh, this guy's a real piece of shit giving out these flyers. Like, what an asshole. Yeah. Episode three happens. That's it. You change your, your views yep. on him entirely. And for the rest of the show, you just, whether you're religious or not, you just hope for the best for this guy. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, you bring out the performance what a performance i would yeah. say performance wise he's the great like possibly the greatest of the show like yeah i think he's one or two one or two yeah jeez like just yeah. so so powerful a very convincing american accents like it just mm-hmm. oh my god it, like spirituality doesn't come into the equation if you don't feel anything for matt you're you're completely heartless <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. i don't understand how you could not like this guy after watching yeah. the show like what are you doing yeah like this is uh, matt dude yeah um okay so for me i have i have nora at 1b and kevin at 1a um yeah that's yeah i, I, I guess nora we can all two, say kevin one okay i have the same as you what, what do you have andreas oh uh, at the last second of so i'm swapping and i'm putting nora one kevin two okay Makes sense so yeah so you're slightly slightly different. i think i've <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm, thoughts. I'm sure we all could have gone either way it was so yeah. hard to pick but exactly. at the same but at the same time, it's worth noting that <laughs> we have... Oh, they're Luke the Cook. best. Yeah, yeah. The, the one reason that I... Like, they're pretty much equals. But the one reason I, I had to come up with some reason to put Kevin at one, and it's because the the two last episodes of the show, you have a very Kevin-focused episode, and you have a very Nora-focused episode. Yes. And I guess I preferred the Kevin-focused episode. Like, I liked episode seven more than episode eight. So I guess... Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that could have been a serious finale, too. If it, if it was more all about Kevin, the way it ends in episode seven with, like, him destroying that world and stuff, like, the show could have ended there, too, to be honest. But And I know the show ends on a Nora-focused episode, or is it just me? Like, they, they both seem like the main characters, obviously, but is it just me, or does Kevin seem, like, slightly more of the main character than Nora? Um, oh, yeah, I think, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I, think in, I didn't know if, like, anyone else had that thought. Like, I didn't yeah. know if that's how it was supposed to well, be. Well, that's also I, how the show starts. It starts with him. Yeah. You only get, like, the first Nora-centric I was you, gonna, you get a Matt episode before you get a Nora yeah, one. I was right. going to say, because of season one. Season one, yeah. Nora doesn't become important until the second half. Like, she's not in really... season two, even. Yeah. Kevin's the main character in season two. Yeah, 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 he is. But yeah. it just especially... I feel like seasons two and three, it's harder to tell. They're, they're both important. But season right. one, it's very clear that Kevin is the main character. Or just like Season the three, they're, they're clear equals in season two. Yeah, the Garvey family, exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, but yeah, these two characters are insane. <laughs> like, um, I don't even know what to say, to be honest. Like, uh, I, I think you said Christopher, what's, what's the actor Eccleston? who plays Matt? Christopher uh, Eccleston. Ac- yeah, the guy yeah, who plays Eccleston, Matt. Yeah, yeah I, I'd say him and Carrie Coon are the two best performances for me. Um, but Justin yeah. Theroux is like right behind him. Like he's insanely good too. Maybe I'm like, biased towards Kevin's character. I thought Justin Theroux was, even though Carrie Coon easily could be number one. I just yeah. thought Justin Theroux was the best. Maybe yeah. it's because he had the most emotional yeah. character, the most emotional line. So that's why it, I, it, it seemed yeah. like he was the best. Yeah. I, I just, just, like, just grossly underrated as well. Yeah. Right. He's very underrated. And like, I feel like now's a good time to say, fuck the Emmys. Like how, like fuck nothing, the, fuck nothing. Those, the only person who got nominated <laughs> was, um, Oh my goodness. Uh, and Dowd. That's it. I think. And Dowd? Wow. I think Shit. so. 
for that's season great. two, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. She's uh, yeah, great, like a like a guest role or something. Yeah. But like that's it. Not the music. Not the yeah. not the writing. Not the lead. Not, not Carrie fucking Coon. Like, are you kidding? Yeah, yeah, yeah like what? Yeah. <laughs> like literally, if you're going actress performances on TV, Carrie Coon's probably number one. Like to be honest, like best television characters, like for a performance, like I think Edie it's... Falco number one, Carrie Coon number yeah. two for me. Oh, like Sopranos. Yeah, I forgot about Edie Falco, but she's right up there. Like, yeah, Carrie she's Coon's insane. Clear yeah. number two. Yeah, yeah. Even though uh, Ray Seahorn and not even not close. even a nomination, like which is a joke. And same thing with Ray Seahorn for Better Call Saul. Have you seen Better Call Saul, Andreas? Um, I'm working on it. Yeah. Wait, no you've seen Breaking Bad? I've seen Breaking Bad. I've not seen Better Call Saul. Yeah. Oh yeah. shit. That, that's fair enough. Yeah, get to it when you can. It's fucking. I, I want to. The unfortunate thing is, it started around the time I was doing my master's. So like yeah. now it's like how many seasons in? Yeah. It's like it's five six, seasons in. It's, it's like, one of those okay, things. Five. Yeah, you were talking about how you don't like, like you like once it's completed and you know that it completed well. So if you want to wait till it ends, because the last season hasn't even come out, like as long as you watch it at some point, it's insanely good. I plan on it this year. Yeah. It's uh, another, actually, it's, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm going to revisit Breaking Bad just for my own sake and then get into Better Call Saul so I can like yeah. appreciate all the Probably the best way to do it. That's the best way to do it. If you, yeah. The more you remember about Breaking Bad, the more impressive Better Call Saul is because of how exactly. it, com- it really complements that show and it, it expands the legacy. And it's I'm just bringing it up because it's another Emmy snub. One of my favorite female characters has been snubbed by the Emmys. Yeah. Oh, so yep. Speaking of Emmy snubs, I've learned that the Emmys aren't bad, but they could also be atrocious. So like, I, I love Rick and Morty. I do. But the fact that a Rick and Morty episode be one of the great Bojack Horseman episodes. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, oh, Bojack man. Horseman, uh, Rick and Morty is good. Bo- Bojack Horseman is legendary. Like, yeah. it's not comparable. It's I completely like, agree with that. It's yeah. like what Rick and Morty's trying to do, but better. It's it's juvenile, but it's not like frat boy humor. It's just silly. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's existential dread and, and clever, but it's actually thorough with it the entire time. Like, it's yeah. just such a perfect... Like, how do you compare? Like, I'm sorry. The, the, I know Bojack's next week or whatever, but the Bojack episode with yeah. the eulogy to his mom, how the yeah. fuck is that yeah. not, like, an yeah. Emmy winner? Like, are you kidding yeah. me? And yeah. just the it's, black humor, the irony. It's just so yeah. fucking brilliant, dude. Yeah, oh, my yeah. God. You it, might have to cut that out because it's a spoiler for another yeah. show. No worries. It's just, in general, in general, <laughs> yeah. just, yeah. Like, the Emmys really is a popularity contest. The biggest thing that shows that is that Game of Thrones won for the last two seasons. So, like, it's just the fact that it's one show that everyone's uh, watching, right? It's whatever everyone's watching. We're all watching this. We're all. But it's a legacy win for the entire yeah. show. It's like you, it won like three yeah. other best drama Emmys exactly. or whatever it won. Like it exactly. won enough. And that's th- the sad thing is that even when the Emmys get it right, it's because of the show being popular. Like Breaking Bad winning was because everyone watched Breaking Bad at the end. Like or like Tatiana, like Tatiana Maslany winning for Orphan Black or yeah. Mad Men and and um, John Hamm winning. Yeah, uh, yeah. like it's usually. Yeah, they get their win, but like it's either because the favorite doesn't win for the billionth mm. time, or uh, yeah, it's a popularity thing. Like how Tatiana yep. was not nominated for the first two seasons of of Orphan Black. The last season was just a scheduling thing; it, it wasn't released on time for yeah. the submission. The first two seasons are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah, <laughs> like, I actually I haven't seen that show, like but I know it's people. Isn't it shot in Canada? Yeah. I haven't seen it. It is. It's a Toronto show. And yeah, it's actually like yeah. proudly Torontonian. It's yeah. like literally the first scene takes place, I believe, at Union Station. And they actually like don't pretend it's a state. It's like, hey, I'm in Scarborough. Where are you at? Yeah, or it's like, that's great. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll meet you. I'll meet you on Finch. Like it's like yeah. in Toronto. Yeah. I like that they don't pretend because so many shows pretend. Like the boys tries to pretend it's not Toronto and it's clearly Toronto. 
<laughs> so it's so oh, yeah. frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> that happens with every show. But yeah. Um, anyways, <laughs> that was a long tangent on the Emmys. But anyone, you guys want to say anything on Kevin or Nora? Like, it's pretty uh, obvious why they're the best characters. But yeah, like, I just think Kevin, Kevin's character has more. Like, I don't know. I guess the word's epicness. He's a more epic character. He like in just terms of like the shit he goes through. Yeah, I would say that's that's probably why I give him the edge at number one. Yeah, the Jesus stuff and <laughs> the in yeah. the world he goes to. Yeah, yeah. Nora doesn't Nora doesn't get to go through that stuff, but she's still incredible. Right. Two best. Um, yeah. I oh, it's it's so tough. Uh, okay. Uh, escaping the characters or going back to the performers. Yeah. Uh, to me, Justin Thoreau is like a fantastic film actor who like embodies like you know these characterizations and like what the what the the camera could do to you and like what it could pick up. Carrie Coon is clearly like a fantastic stage actress who can like bring out like that type of performance. So seeing those two smushing together in like this toxic relationship where it's like uh, Nora booms while Kevin is kind of like the more raw. And it's it's just like that 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 competitive nature between the two, these mm-hmm. like these two brilliant performances on what they extract. So it's like, you know, you get more of like the stage type of thing with with Nora, which plays into like the deep emotions of somebody who lost their entire family, you yep. know, that this, this grieving wife and mother, whereas yep. um, Justin Thoreau, who's so good at like, again, like the on-screen stuff, like the subtleties of your face and, mm-hmm. and like all, yeah. all, like all of that stuff, I think it plays into like his, his character, yeah. you know, like his, his, his self-destructive nature, his, his psychosis, mm-hmm. his anger issues. So those two together, like they both exemplify their, their objectives perfectly. Exactly. Yep. That's a perfect way to put it. Yeah, I like that clap. The, the yeah, the way you clash between a theater and a film actor. Yeah, that's a really interesting. The thing type of actor they are fits yeah. the type of character that they are. Yeah, perfectly. Yeah. It's perfectly. And it, like the ending is perfect because she gives the big. Okay, Kevin gives a monologue too, but she gives the final story where you're hooked on every word. Yeah, and it's his response. Yeah. So again, it's a theater versus like the on-screen, like the slight, like tweaking emotions of the eyebrows and everything. Yeah. Like, yep. uh, or every time Kevin says. Uh, what like in the entire yeah. series yeah. what yeah. fucking what are like the two most said words in the entire series yeah. Uh, yeah. but you know joking aside they're both perfect for different reasons and i guess that's why we can't split them apart yeah yeah well said um so yeah those are our character rankings um this might get a little repetitive but uh we get, we like to mention what our top five favorite scenes are um uh, doesn't have to be five it could be a couple i'm sure we probably mentioned the majority of them does anyone have a scene they really want to mention that we have not talked about um because I just looked at my top five, and I think we talked about all five. Yeah. I feel like... Okay, so yeah. Yeah, I have two. That, well, one of them we briefly mentioned, but didn't go into detail. Then the other one we didn't talk about at all. Okay, so yeah, go for it. What are some of your favorite scenes? So can I... I'll briefly mention the three we already mentioned that I won't go into yeah. detail on them. Yeah. So yeah. the ones we already mentioned, Kevin comes home. Yep. Virgil murders Kevin. And Kevin and Nora, are you in the hotel? Those yep. are the three that we already talked about. I won't go into detail on those. But mm-hmm. the two... So you briefly mentioned this, but we didn't go into detail. The Kevin and Lori's final scene, they're basically just like saying everything that was unsaid. They're like basically like being honest with each other, like yeah. reminiscing on their time together. Like, um, but like, so Kevin confesses that he killed Jill's hamster or he let it die somehow on accident. Yeah, yeah. So like, that was like a really small confession. And then Lori confesses, it just hits Kevin like a fucking truck. She confesses that she had a baby and that it yeah. died. So like, I just thought like that scene was really good. Yeah. How they were like open and cause they, they clearly didn't have a good marriage. They weren't open and honest about shit, but this is like yeah. all these years later, they're like, 
Yeah. They know each other so well at this point they can be like open and shit. Yeah. So, so like, much so much payoff. Like that scene just pays off their entire relationship almost. Yeah. And it's also right. special because he's also not honest to Nora, but this is after Nora's like gone. So like this is yeah. this opportunity to like start being yeah. completely honest. So. Yeah. <laughs> what was the exact fucking line? Uh he couldn't remember the hamster's name. He's like Mr. Mr. Fuzzy or something. He said Mr. Mr. Fuzzy. No, no, he said Mr. Funny. And then she said, no, it was Mr. Fuzzy. He's like, oh, that's right, Mr. Fucking Fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good line. Whenever, saying, Jeff, oh, what? <laughs> whenever Justin throws says fuck, it's hilarious. Mr. Fucking Fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then the other one is the departure scene, both scenes. The one, the very oh. first scene of the show, and then yeah. the, the flashback episode. Yeah. And you see yeah. both perspectives. You see the perspective of not knowing any of the characters, and then you see, like, in episode nine, the characters that we already know, we see it from their perspective. Yeah. So and you like, also see in Matt's episode, like the car crash from his angle. Yeah. 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 Got, like, oh yeah. shit. True. Yeah. The, the big, get, like a third angle. Yeah. The John Locke esque flashback yep. for me. That's what yeah. it felt like. So yeah. there's technically three departure scenes if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that one, that one's a slight one. Um, I'll just mention mine quick. Cause we've mentioned them all. So my top five scenes I have, uh, we didn't talk enough about this, but the Nora voiceover in the season one finale, when she explains yep. why she has to leave Kevin and then she finds yep. the baby. Uh, the final scene of season two, your home, when Kevin sees his family. I did talk about this, Eric on the bridge. That, that, there's just something about the vibe I get. It's hard to explain why that's one of my top five scenes. But when she's running on the bridge to confront Evie, the music, it's in one of my yep. favorite scenes. Kevin yep. singing Homeward Bound. These are a lot of these are in the season two finale. This is why it was my favorite episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, Erica and Nora in Lens when they the whole did they die or did they depart? Their confrontation is just incredible. I love mm-hmm. that scene. Yeah, um, mine actually aren't in order. Um, I just kind of like had a couple down because I don't know we we did up to five for these as well. Yeah, this so, mine weren't in order either. I just said top five, but yeah, yeah I, I, I see. Just, I listed them all, but they're just my five favorites. Yeah, 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 all good. Uh, I, I guess so just uh, whatever I have here I have yeah. um you know the, the the riot that breaks out in response to the to the bridge Ooh. oh yeah. I was thinking of season one riot yeah but yeah or that as well it's like very similar that one's also also really fantastic um yeah. uh when when Maury finally says Jill who's like who's burning yeah. in the house yeah. is another one that really stuck with me um the well with yeah. uh oh at, at the end of international assassin is another yeah. fantastic one Crazy. um well, my, my top one is uh, I only have fourth here. I have four here, but I'm going to think of a fifth one really quickly. My my top one is the uh, the final conversation at um, the Book of Nora. Makes sense. Yeah, final scene uh, that, of the show. That is that is for sure my favorite scene of the entire series. I yeah. have to quickly think of a last one, uh, perhaps one that we haven't discussed. Uh, yeah. We haven't done too much of season one. Okay, so how about when Matt shows up and is ready to to pay off for the church, and it's like an indeterminate amount of time afterwards it's like what is it, like a month or something yeah and he's like well past the due date and it's obviously i think it was just run. a few days if I, oh if it was like a correct. week yeah. yeah it was yeah. three or four days i think yeah it was like yeah. oh yeah it was like a few days you're yeah. right um and uh he, he's he's like too late like it's like the biggest gut punch of well it's only three episodes in but still it's like wow okay like i know what the show can do now so yeah yeah, yeah. Also, good, okay, let's not forget he, uh, he Kevin came, dying and, and the guy shooting himself. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That too. yeah. Great scene, too. Yeah. So much good stuff. Oh. Um, yeah, because I remember that one scene, uh, Matt came in 
thinking it was like friday night or whatever and the dude's like dude it's monday yeah. <laughs> or some shit like that some shit like that he's like wait what i've been yeah. out for that long that, that was a gut punch where i was like you finally think he's gonna make it right in time and it's like nope he was knocked out for way longer than we thought like <laughs> yep. yeah um what are you about to say gabe i was just about to move on does anyone want to say anything else about scenes yeah or? i listed all of mine yeah. yep okay so um last couple things we're almost done here uh anyone have any funny moments they want to bring up because there's it is a very dark depressing show but there's some funny stuff here and there um, Wu-Tang Band, I think, is uh, yeah, is always funny because I'm a, I'm like a huge Wu-Tang Which part? Band fan. Oh yeah, that part. Yeah, um, yeah. I've seen Wu-Tang live. I've seen Go- I've shot a Ghostface Killer show. Um, okay. Thirty Six Chambers is one of the great rap albums ever. So when I saw Norm's the tattoo, I was like, okay, maybe yeah. maybe, maybe she likes them, and then she brings a Wu-Tang yeah. Band, and I was that like, was funny. Yeah. Clearly, but then yeah. you know she goes into like the whole Phoenix tattoo, and she wanted to cover up yeah. the names of her her kids which yeah. is you know it's really powerful but like that that quick moment where it's like the Wu-Tang band is like ah shit <laughs> yeah she's like she's like she points at some random thing give me that and she doesn't know what it is right like what the tattoo is yeah and so you could only guess for the rest of yeah. her life if she's not yeah. being asked are you are you Nora while she's trying to hide in Australia yeah. it's so what uh, who's your favorite member is it Jizza or Rizza the yeah. uh, Inspector Decker she'd be like oh fuck off I don't care <laughs> I, I don't even know anything about this but yeah yeah it's so good um I, I have just have one funny moment. It's it's in the most powerful man in the world when uh the guy's just like standing there, he's like, Sir, put your penis in it when he needs to oh, yeah. they need they need to scan his dick. It's yeah. So oh, just, and then and then yeah. they have to do it again. Yeah. yeah. It just comes out of nowhere. Like it's just they're trying to wait for him to get in. He's just like, Sir, put your penis in it. Like, it's just so funny. Um, Except it's just like normal, like okay. Yeah, yeah. That's some shit that would. That's some weird shit that would happen in like a dreamlike state or whatever that was. Yeah, that's some just exactly. some weird shit that would. Um, I thought it was pretty funny. I think this was season two finale when Kevin first goes back. He's just looking at himself in the mirror. He's like, "Motherfuck!" He couldn't. He was so pissed that he was back. Yeah, back at yeah. that place. I think that's the season two finale when he goes back for the, the second time in the season. Yeah, and then they play the music, and then he's like, "Motherfucker!" Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was international assassin because doesn't he also like freak out every time he goes back to the room? Yeah, I think you might be right. Actually. Something like that. Yeah. No, no, it was the season two finale because it was like yeah, when yeah. he was actually revisiting the place, like he right. was yeah. actually like going back there. Yeah, so it's the like, second oh, no, time he goes right. back. Yeah, yeah. no, you're yeah. right. Um, but I think I think even before that, like he also like freaks out. But then like that's why it's such a good payoff because it's like when he's back again, it's like, oh shit, I thought I was gone for good. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah, good stuff. A- another funny scene uh, from season one. I w- I've been just trying to think of like smaller moments that were funny. It's hard to think. Of like the little smaller moments in a show like this but um <clears throat> kevin's on the phone with uh some police officer i don't remember what the exact conflict was but uh he just screamed fuck into the phone then hung up and then matt just says i say fuck too <laughs> yeah i remember that that's one that's a good matt moment he's just like and it's perfectly timed too. It's yeah, perfectly yeah. timed. It doesn't sound funny when I like when I talk about it, but if you actually go back and watch the scene, yeah. it's just so yeah. well done. It's the it's his delivery, the way he delivers. It's the delivery. Yeah. It's the delivery. I say fuck time. too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I just remember speaking of Matt. I just remembered one, uh, and you know this comes from a place of him being a man of the cloth and and hearing every insult under the sun when they're trying to get onto the cruise ship and he tells his joke about like some pedophile oh, priest or something. Like, it's like if really, really dirty. It, if you yeah. want me to recite it, it's really fucked up. It's like, yeah, uh, it's you can cut this out if you want. Um, 
how is a how is a priest different than acne acne waits or no acne stops coming on a boy's face after they're or like a, yeah, no, yeah acne waits until after you're 12 to come yeah. on a boy's face yeah, yeah. oh my god i remember that it's just so such a dirty <laughs> oh my god <laughs> you might have to cut that out i don't know what your yeah. listenership yeah. is like yeah we <laughs> might we might not i don't know if we care enough it's we the show leave. we we didn't come yeah. up with i mean that. it's in the show i, mean, I think yeah. i think we'll leave it in yeah it's part of the show um <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty. I do have a section for the end where we talk about criticisms. Does anyone have any, or like, are we just not going to bring up any? Because a lot of the time, it's too hard. Like, I have like the most insignificant one. <laughs> what is I, it? I'm a man of of unity. So when a show starts, like the intro credits have a different song, a different yes. feel. That that's yeah. like the only thing, but that's so insignificant. It has like nothing to do with it. And yeah. you know, they rectified it with season three, where each song was different. Yeah, like it, it really doesn't matter. Plus, if yeah. you're watching it on, like, I watched it on Crave. I hope to own these one day. I just skipped yeah. the intro, like, after yeah. like so long. So, yeah, yeah. That, your... that's barely a criticism. Yeah. I remember I started season two. I was instantly disappointed. Like, don't yeah. get me wrong, th- that intro fits seasons two and three better. Yeah, yeah. like the overall feel. It's yeah. like more like I don't know. Yeah, I'm not there's, there's something about the visuals of the season one intro. If I had to pick a favorite intro, it would probably be season one's Same. intro. Like, it's it's just so good. I think it's just the familiarity where it's like if it was always that yeah. one, like right. the season two one, and somebody showed this one, it'd be like, that's nice, but it's not the show. But because it, it was a show literally for one season, and then you get something more folky and identifiable. I get that each season yeah. has a different perspective, but it's still like very jarring. It's a beautiful intro, and I love the song, yeah. I'll Let the Mystery yeah. Be, but like... Yeah if you're not expecting it, it's kind of like getting a root beer instead of a Coke and you're drinking it and you're like, oh, I mean, that's that's nice, but I didn't expect it. It's exactly. Yeah, yeah yep. that's a good analogy. Yeah, it just comes out of nowhere. You're like, huh? <laughs> it's yeah. like, what is this? Yeah. Getting yeah. ready for that. Yeah. yeah. Also, oh, we haven't talked enough. Doesn't each season start in season two? There's like a really, really weird flashback that takes place like a long, long time ago. Oh, yeah. And, then, season. and yeah. then season three does the same thing. It's another really long time ago flashback with a random person. And it somehow connects yeah. to the theme of that yeah. season. It establishes there, the theme. And then is there, there, saw, is there a clear really, explanation? Yeah. Well, I saw a really good uh, analysis online. So one of the things is because the first season starts with a departure. So it's something to keep you on your toes each time where it's not familiar, but they're right. both thematically relevant where uh, the season two one is that cave, like, uh, the, you know, the person of the primitive age who's trying mm-hmm. to take care of her daughter yeah. and she's like fighting the elements and she's dying. You know, get, you get that sense of like the, the maternal fight, whether it's Nora with the adoptive baby or Lori yeah. or whomever else, um, Regina King's character, you know, like that, that, maternal instinct and they also have that relation with the well that's where she died i think so it's like that that portal way that make it interesting and the season three it's like the settlers who keep trying to um mark the apocalypse which that's something else we forgot to discuss season three is not just about you know kevin being gone it's the apocalypse they think they're all gonna die yeah kevin's father says something about a flood right yeah yeah exactly they're predicting that it's a great departure it's gonna happen again they're all gonna die so yeah or they might not all but you might it's gonna be like a rapture so it's about them preempting a bunch of things and it never happens so Mm -hmm. it's like that as well where it's like is it gonna happen this time or are they gonna be wrong like all of these uh people before them of faith so yeah Okay. Uh, any other criticisms? I, I, I feel like I mentioned a couple little minor, minor, minor things. Like I said, the time jump in the series finale was weird, but I feel like if I rewatched it, that's not a criticism. It's very, very well executed. Um, oh yeah. Season three felt slightly disjointed, very minor thing, but it, mm-hmm. it works really well still. 
Yeah, um, all, all my criticisms were pretty much um, yeah, taken like, care of on my rewatch. So, like, I don't yeah. have, like... See, I haven't rewatched it yet, yeah. Like, I, I still I, agree that it is disjointed, but I, I wouldn't say I have as much of a problem with it to where it's yeah. worth mentioning at this point. Yeah. Also, it is a little weird how season three certain characters are just not even important anymore. Like Tom, like, like the they're, kids. Yeah, like Tom and Jill are just gone. Like they're just not really in the show. <laughs> yeah, um, true. Because I loved the family aspect of the show. Yeah, yeah. Particularly in season one, even. Like even like yeah. we got less Tom and Jill in season two even. Yeah. So I but really only, liked... Sorry? No, no, pretty much. I pretty much said what I had to say. That's one thing I enjoyed about season one more, just like that. It's a more aspect. grounded. It's a more grounded story. Just a little like, I don't yeah. know. On one hand, I'm kind of glad that they didn't touch it because season two ends so perfectly with the family aspect where it's like, if they had to break up the family again, that would kind of feel like, you know, like one of those shows where it's like, okay, now you're just like having to create the schism. So Nora and Kevin aren't perfect together. And they create new relationships, uh, you know, with the Murphys and and the Garveys. But uh, if they shattered the family again with like, you know, the kids and everything... And you already get the idea that they're distant. I don't know. Maybe it would have just been. No, definitely. It hard. works. It works. Yeah. 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 They do. Yeah. They, they, they do wrap up the kid story and the family story. Well, in season two, it's true. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, I'm glad. And, and the, the premiere of season three, cause like, you know, you still see the song. Yeah. We still get a lot yeah. of Tom and Jill. Yeah. In season yeah. Two. You know, yeah, that Jill's yeah. like gone to college yeah. or whatever. So yeah. Um, Tom's yeah. a cop. Yeah. That reminds it's me. We haven't, we haven't mentioned the whole Holy Wayne thing. I liked the, the actor who played Holy Wayne was really mesmerizing to me. I really liked that actor. I don't know why <laughs> I just do. And then like Tom, Tom, is his name Tom or Tommy? I can't even remember. Do they call him well, Tom? Uh, I can't even remember. I, I feel like they call him Tommy, but maybe I'm mixing that up with another show, but basically some, Kevin, some call him Tom, yeah, some call him yeah, Tommy. He has a good episode with his mom where he, he does the hug thing. Like he starts running those. Scams. Three, yeah. That, I was, that he was, a good actor when he does he has that really long yeah. monologue where he's become the new holy wayne where he wants to hug and he's like who wants to hug that was a good yeah. scene I that's the that. start of laurie's redemption arc too that episode i love yeah. that episode yeah um i think that's enough though <laughs> i think we covered a lot yeah um I overall just, it's a perfect show i don't have too many crimi- yeah, criticisms. yeah yeah these criticisms are just little nitpicks there's all you can always poke holes in certain things in anything yeah but it's pretty much a flawless show to be honest because technically speaking no show is perfect no matter how insignificant, there's a, a show is always going to have a flaw of some sort. So it's yeah. subjectively it's, it, perfect. In my it's subjectively opinion. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Flawless, and from my perspective. What I always flawless. say is that nothing, as you say, like nothing is perfect. Like in Godfather, I don't want to spoil it, but in Godfather, uh, non-spoiler version, an actor bumps into the camera and you can tell. Okay. Yeah. yeah see. Uh, yeah. Like even that, which is like considered the greatest film ever to some people, like there's a mistake. Yeah. Nothing is perfect, yeah. but it could be perfect to you. Yeah. It can mm-hmm. it can feel perfect to you, and I'd yeah, say right. like, there's a couple shows that feel perfect, and this one's pretty close to being one of them. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I just want to say thanks, Andreas. Like, thanks so much for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Um, I hope yeah, you seriously. enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed talking about the show because this show's great. I, I loved it. I'm sorry I made this an extra hour long. <laughs> no worries. No, we dude, usually go this dude, long, dude. We, oh, do we, you? Okay. <laughs> we, we. I wouldn't say we usually do, but we did a Sopranos one that was over three hours i had to edit it. oh yeah i had to okay, edit it out. said it was like an hour long i was like oh shit i'm, yeah. I'm bringing these guys to like yeah. like two and a half hours my bad yeah because <laughs> it was because the first option i gave in case you were too busy or you were if, if you didn't know the leftovers well enough i was like just give some general thoughts or you can do the deep dive with us and i might have just said it was an hour but our deep dives are way longer so don't worry about okay it. cool I, I love deep diving i feel like if you if you really want to discuss something especially like this you have yeah. to because yeah. if you just say on top it's like 
it's a show about guys who disappear and the people yeah. who deal with it. I think it's yeah. like yeah, yeah. that's a disservice yeah. to the yeah. show. So yeah. as far as you could do that with. Yeah, that's the one thing we try to make that's a little unique about our show is we love the details, the specifics. It's for like the hardcore fans of these shows that love all these scenes, like the people that remember them well, not the people that are like, I can't remember that scene. Like, yeah, <laughs> so exactly. The fact that we talked about so many things is what we what we go for. So yeah, thanks so much for doing this. This is no a lot problem. of fun. And here I am calling Lori Jill, like, oh, well, I'm doing a great <laughs> yeah. job. <laughs> yeah, what a terrible mistake. I don't think. Uh, <laughs> I should be crucified. No, I, I, I greatly appreciated it. It was a lot of fun. So thank yeah. you. Cheers yeah, you it'd, be, it'd be great to have you back on. Thanks for yeah. coming. Yeah, I'd love to not to like invite myself but if you're doing Bojack I'm currently yeah. on a Bojack high I'd yeah. love to discuss Bojack yeah. Horseman yeah oh, we probably will have you on for Bojack then sounds good and yeah thanks to anyone who listened it was a long one I'm sure um, and we love the leftovers we'll see you in the next one bye